Anyone who isn't dead or from another plane of existence would do well to cover their ears right about now. Where's the beef? Where's the beef? Garbage people. Where's the beef? Welcome to the first ever Where's the Cinema PsyOps Beef. I am joined live via the Interocitor this week with two of the castmates from Cinema Beef, both X and Gary. How's it going, guys? <laughs> it's like, who starts here? I'm fine. Oh I'm God. doing great. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I also am fine and great and well. I think the lady's right, though. Where is the beef? Because I'm looking at like a bunch of micro dicks right now just hanging around this room. Fine. Hey, sit down. Sure. Sit down. Hey, Fuck you. Sit down. All right. All right. All right. And also Let's joining see. me in the studio and ruining everything as always is Matt. How's it going? Hey, how's it going? Uh, you know, I tried to schedule this so you guys and I could just hang out and have a good time. I'm so sorry, X and Gary. I'm so sorry. We'd have it another way, man. It's <laughs> maybe, all good. Maybe you should maybe uh, not be such a chatty Kathy about bullshit. Then I wouldn't show up to things, motherfucker. So I should stop posting on Facebook whenever I'm excited about things I'm going to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, of course I'm going to come by and try to fucking ruin it. <laughs> I thought for sure that you would take a lazy day and be like, oh, cool. I don't no, have to work. You've been ruining my childhood for like ever now. So I might as well come in and ruin the rest <laughs> of your life. Fair enough. All right. So the reason that we had to combine forces is because we're talking about a very heavy hitter this week. And that's why we had to do this. Where's the cinema psyops <laughs> beef crossover? You watch it, buddy. This movie is a heavy hitter. <laughs> Am I wrong, guys? It Are is we doing... a rock and roll fable. Absolutely. Bull Durham or what, man? <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm, I'm good for that, too, you know. <laughs> I'm not prepared for Bull Durham, but we God. could do that someday. I can't wait for Bull Durham, let's be honest. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course you can't wait for Bull Durham. <laughs> I like Bull Durham. You good like, movie. You like sports ball movies. You don't care about anything else. I, I care about a lot of other things. <laughs> but, like actual he sports believes ball. believes in long, slow kisses that last all night. <laughs> <laughs> Especially... Well, 
I do now. <laughs> Especially when they're with Kevin Costner. That man is America's treasure. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. <laughs> You'd be damn lucky. And no one wears a post-apocalyptic mullet quite like Kevin Costner in not, two not very shitty movies. Yeah. But the heavy hitter that we are talking about tonight, as far as I'm concerned, it's a heavy hitter, is Streets of Fire. And I am super excited to talk about it. I don't know. I think Matt might not be. <laughs> this is going to be one of those nights where we have to punch him in the face via the interocitor. No, no, I... I'm totally on board. This is a heavy hitter movie. Okay, well, that's going to have to lead us to the segment I always enjoy taking part in for my guest spots on the beef, and we're going to bring it over for the crossover. Let's go ahead and take care of our beefs of the week. Okay, who gets the burly uh, beef? I ordered barbecue beef. I think that's mine, but I didn't order fries. Barbecue beef. Mine's the juke deluxe. Okay, who gets the burly beef? Okay, I have a quick question before we move on to the beefs. Gary, at the very end of that, was that barf from You Can't Do That on Television? Yes. Oh, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> All right, so who wants to go first? Who's got the beef that they want to unleash? Uh, X, do you want to take this one, man? Two words, Russell Crowe. <laughs> <laughs> and that's and for, that's that's it. That's Are we talking about a, dreamy star virtuosity Russell Crowe or you know? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Russell Crowe who can't seem to play roles anymore except if he's redoing roles that other people have done. So, oh, somebody must have watched the remake of the Mummy or the the latest one in the Dark Universe. Then I'm guessing. Well, it's just I know that it exists, and then <laughs> I don't know the whole. The only thing that set this off was I saw a commercial on FX for Noah, and I was like, oh, I remember how shitty that movie was. And then I thought, he kind of looks like Mel Gibson. And I thought, oh, Mel Gibson did Passion of the Christ. But that's Old Testament, New Testament. And then I went down this whole fucking rabbit hole and just came out at the end going, God damn, I hate Russell Crowe. <laughs> It's like a death spiral to hatred for Russell Crowe. Yeah, just like just like an alligator does a death roll when it's got a fucking nutria in its jaws. That's exactly <laughs> what I did with Russell Crowe. So he Russell Crowe like is a... the nutria in this? I just want to clarify. <laughs> yes. He seems like a huge dick wrapped in fat. Wait. And facial hair. Yeah. He, he says that when he's looking at me, though. <laughs> and then what Axe just said didn't actually remove it from me because I have facial hair. It's fine. I'm just talking to people now. If you want to see a, you want to see a Dick and Russell Crowe film, I'll watch Romper Stomper. That's got Cinnamon written all over it. See. Oh yeah, I actually have the DVD of that, and uh, Romper Stomper certainly has Cinnamon Psyops written all over it. Is Although, it for garbage people? It's about neo Nazis in Australia, right? Yeah. 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 I hate Australian neo-Nazis. I hate all neo-Nazis. Yeah, every neo-Nazi. <laughs> Particularly the orange ones in the House of White. <laughs> Coded message. I know. Holy Way to float that one past everybody. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm sure that one got past him. I'm soothsaying, X. I am prophesizing about things that have already happened. That, that went over as easy as a red wedding right there. Nice. Red wedding, Yeah, huh? yeah. Mm -hmm. busted out that one. And by red wedding, do you mean <laughs> menstruation during the nuptials? Yeah, okay, we'll go with that. Crime scene sex, that's, I'm into that. That's a, <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot better than what happened. 
happened during the red wedding. <laughs> ah, tomato, tomato. Yeah. Oh, you gotta have those little cards, wings, gentlemen. Get those little cards to mark the evidence spots, you know, <laughs> for, for, for ambiance, you know. Oh boy, I just said a whole bunch of stuff that's gonna get me in a lot of trouble. Probably. <laughs> that's not even like five minutes into this. Nope. All right, who's got the next beef? Anybody? Um. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's it's here, but it's not there. And I'm kind of over it. Sports ball protests. The national anthem. Hockey's back in a week. And I won't give a fuck about any of it. So there you go. It's it's just there, you know. Because I'll go go in with you on that one. That was going to be mine. (laughs) Really? National anthem. I never used to have to watch it. Guess what? During any sporting event, they cut away. You never actually saw them sing the national anthem unless it was the Super Bowl. That was it. Yeah. Or, or the one of the big ones, the yeah. the big sporting events. Then they might they show all of it to get all the viewership they can. Normal games, never heard of it until fucking you know twenty four hour news cycles have to make such a big deal out of every fucking thing in the world. So when did they actually start showing them? I'm curious about this. Uh, last year, right? It and what happened was Colin Kaepernick, who's a quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers, last year he took a knee to somewhat you know protest uh, police unfairness to his race. It's been- by unfairness, you mean murdering them yes. without provocation. I was going to go a little bit less on that, but yeah, that's fine. That's uh, what's happening. <laughs> so, but then uh, I believe, of course, it was Fox who picked it up uh, and ran with it. And they didn't even have like that's, actual. That's so unlike Fox to go right wing on something. Yeah, right. And, and here's <laughs> the funny thing. They didn't even, the first time it happened, they didn't even have a football, like a like one of the sports, like the actual cameraman's footage of it because no one was looking. Footage. They had a f- yeah, footage. <laughs> footage. Footage. They had a, f- a fan's <laughs> camera phone, like all grainy and shit, and that's how they caught it the first time. So someone actually sent it in. Are they are they doing this now intentionally? Like yeah, the, now, the, the camera people to now and- that then well after it got such big news, then everyone focused on it. Then all of a sudden you started seeing it, and now every football game you're seeing the national anthem sang live with you know a uh, hundred yard big flag out there, all because the Pentagon paid the NFL a shit ton of money to do this before every game to bump up patriotism. So, <sighs> hey, everyone who's really pissed off about the, the guys kneeling and everything, your patriotism's being bought and paid for hey, by the I, Pentagon. I, 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 I have a solution to all these this kneeling issues and other issues. I'm going to go to the north side and find two of the gayest guys I could find. I'm sure I, I have friends that could find these people. I'm going to dress one as Madame Curie for, for Radium and one as Donald Trump have them kneeling and, and locking arms and making out at the same time and then take a picture and put it on Facebook and the internet will explode, okay? Just, uh... You, you need one more thing to make that, that happen, Gary. Kim Kardashian's ass needs to be prominently featured yes. in the background. Twerking. <laughs> Twerking. Twerking. If at their heads, yeah. yeah at their with heads. The, with, the, with the oil and sweat oh. flying off and hitting them <laughs> yes. in the face. <laughs> and make sure there's lots of hypersensitive cameras to get all the noises for it. All right. Yes. All right, so you guys had a combined beef. That's yeah. kind of cool. I like how you guys teamed that, uh, yeah. that, that out. You took that beef from both ends. Yeah, really. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> All right, my beef is actually very similar. It's this mass uh, distraction misinformation technique that has been happening with our current administration mm. to distract from things that are important, like the fact that one of our territories is completely fucked right now, yeah. and no one's even talking about it. They're no. just ignoring it. No, because they don't want to send... Trump's not interested in actually fixing anything. Trump's interested He's in also not getting... interested in helping anyone that's not fucking white, well, that and too. that's why Puerto Rico is Tr- fucked right here's now. Here's what... Tr- 
Trump's interested in helping his own business interests while he's president and hopefully can transition everything into buying a book. And he knows who his base is. That's why football players, uh, especially African-American ones who take knees during the national anthem, are sons of bitches. Well, fucking neo-Nazis are pretty good people in his, you know, that's what Trump said. They're good people Dunn's on both sides. hate chimp. Yes, they're good Lucas people on both sides. Like, Fuck that Cheeto. Oh, arrogant well, well, if, you, if you haven't seen American History X, you're just misunderstood, you know. No, 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 no. Fuck that. Fuck all. You're a fucking Nazi. Fuck you. <laughs> not him specifically. Not just, you. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not talking about general Nazis. Fuck them. <laughs> all you general Nazis. <laughs> If you're generally maybe, maybe, a Nazi, maybe, go fuck yourself. Even if you're doing maybe, it as a laugh or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, maybe Stacy Keach had it right. Come on, that's all I'm saying, man. You know. It's just... Oh Jesus Christ! You know, I never thought that we'd be using American History X to advocate for looking at things on both sides. You know, I don't want to. I'm not interested in looking at things from both sides with a Nazi. No, <laughs> that's not a side I need to see anything from. The only side I need to see is graveside. Oh. <laughs> all right, that's gonna wrap up our beast for the week. Why don't we take a little break here we will play a promo for another podcast we will have a little bit of music from this kick-ass fucking soundtrack for streets of fire and when we come back we will have the trailer Howdy, folks. Like blood, violence, freaks and hey, you come to the right place my name is gary and i'm your guide to cinnamon beef podcast every episode we not only deliver film reviews we also dismantle some of your favorite and most hated films sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worse hey, 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 hey you shut your face if we want to hear you talk, I will shove my arm up your ass and work your mouth like a puppet. All right, calm down, calm down. Every show I hope to have a new co-host, podcasters, listeners alike. That's right, I'm talking to you people. I take all comers. You're slapped. That's not very nice. The only rules, well, let's ask the best cooler in the business. All you have to do is follow three simple rules. One, never underestimate your opponent. Expect the unexpected. Two, Take it outside. Never start anything inside the bar unless it's absolutely necessary. Three, be nice. So join the insanity and please vent your frustrations. I'm available on TalkShoe, iTunes, and Stitcher Smart Radio. Remember, here at the Sin Beef Podcast, if you got beef, I've got the grinder. Like a bulldog loves his bone And last night she got crazy She called me up on the phone She said, come on over, daddy Cause I can't drink alone She said, I had to be a little I had to have a little more well, I tried to get up I could not get out the door There's a big old snake Crawling right across the floor And I told her, hold that snake Till I'm making Hold on till your daddy gets there his head and shake it till he ain't going nowhere. Take it easy, but take it. Don't let go of that stage till I make it. My baby's not afraid to take a chance. All right, is it is it just me or is he not talking about an actual snake going across the floor? That that sounds like a euphemism. Well, no more than ACDC does. <laughs> Come on, or Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> yeah. What's, what's what's the song "Sink the Pink" about again? I don't know, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, love me for the money. <laughs> Shook me all night long. Dirty deeds done dirt cheap. Mm -hmm. That happens to be my favorite of all ACDC songs. <laughs> I can live up for that one. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know what else I live up for, Matt? What's that? This trailer. <laughs> I'll be coming for her, and I'll be coming for you, too. Sure you will, and I'll be waiting. You are about to enter a world unlike any you've ever seen before. Where rock and roll is king. The only law is a loaded gun. Where the beautiful... Stay and see the show, it's really good. The brutal... I want Tom Cody. And the brave all meet. From now on, it's for real. In Streets of Fire. You're lying in your bed and on a Saturday night You're sweating buckets and it's not even hard But your brain has got the messages sending it out to Universal Pictures presents Michael Paré, Diane Lane, Rick Moranis, and Amy Madigan in a Walter Hill film, Streets of Fire. Oh, fuck yeah. What a great trailer voice. Is that the, that's the guy, right? The trailer voice, whatever his name is. That is is Ernie Anderson. Yeah, that's the main dude that everybody knows is in a world, in a land, in a place, in a time. (laughs) Am I wrong? That sounds like it, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's him. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Ernie Anderson, you say. Awesome. Uh, Before we actually get digging into the movie, now, Nowhere Fast was written and produced by Jim Steinman, and I've seen people before credit that as, this is like a meatloaf song, Nowhere Fast, and then and also, uh, what it means to be young, I think, is the other song, or, or something along those lines. Tonight is, what, tonight is what it means to be young. Tonight is it what sounds, it means to be young. Yeah, that sounds more like a meatloaf song. Well, there's a good reason for that because Jim Steinman is actually the creativity behind what makes meatloaf meatloaf. Am I wrong? Yes, definitely. Very, very theatrical. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the meatloaf songs that a lot of people know and love and and can remember the most, I believe, are are more credited towards Jim Steinman. Now, how much of the writing they both did together, I really don't know, but I just wanted to kind of clear that up. It's not nowhere fast isn't a meatloaf song, right? Like I've he's never recorded that. Am I wrong? Uh, I don't think so. Not as far as I know. Yeah. Okay. Because I think I posted that I was listening to Nowhere Fast when I was getting some work done to to get this stuff set up for this crossover, and someone was like, "Oh, that's a great meatloaf song," and I didn't want to be like, "Actually, it's uh, Jim Steinman and all the things that I wanted to save that for the air." That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Worst review ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is this is an open forum discussion, so I have some uh, I have some clips, I have some questions. I'm gonna try and uh, negotiate and try and get a healthy dialogue going. I'm looking at you, Matt, about the film. What are you talking about? <laughs> the way you reacted at the beginning, but you've done, I, I will you've, have a healthy dialogue with everything. You've you've done it before, where you've set it up to make me think that you absolutely hate a film, and then you completely shock me by the fact that you liked it. So I'm hoping that's what we're gonna get here. <laughs> 
<laughs> Your silence is not helping. There's a lot of hope in the world, my friend. All right. So at the beginning of the film, the credits declare that this film takes place in another time and another place. Where and when is that? It might be the 60s. It might be the 80s. There's really, I really like elements of both, really, if you think it was, about it. It was about five minutes past midnight and straight to the left and up your ass. That's where it was. There you go. <laughs> my thought was it's post-apocalyptic world where all they had left to reference were episodes of Happy Days. And so they <laughs> rebuilt the world in that image. But hey. then but then some of the people like say the land where the bombers are, their their little town that they're at. Yeah. They didn't get episodes of Happy Days. All they had was an old VHS tape of the wild one. Oh, maybe oh. and also not just Happy Days. Maybe they all just watched a ton of movies, like a ton of Grease, because you know, music is such a big thing too. Yeah, that definitely could be. I think this is the alternate universe rock and roll movie because it shares so many bloodlines with other movies movies. So if you look at it the right way or the wrong way, depending, this is the sequel to Teenage Crime Wave, and it's the sequel to Quadrophenia, and it's the sequel to Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains. It's just there are more timeline paradoxes and anachronisms in this movie than any Terminator movie you can think of. So it's essentially a mad scientist like myself got a hold of a paradox generator and just went nuts, and this film is the result. It's like a, a blender of paradoxes. It is a trope cocktail. Trope cocktail. Ooh, I like that. I'm <laughs> I'm going to steal that, X. Okay. All right. So the film also states that it is a rock and roll fable. Does it live up to this decoration? Oh, hell yeah. I, I'd say so. It's it's throughout and it, uh, it fits the film and it's got the blasters in it doing stuff. And kind of my it, they, 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 they really make you, they really make you uh, enjoy a really ugly stripper. So that's, uh, that's something, you know? That is Gozer the Gozerian. <laughs> that's the same actress who played Gozer the Gozerian? Yes. That is Marine Jahan. She needs a that. sandwich. Exactly. <laughs> Gary don't like no skeletons. She's uh, certainly less sparkly than she was in Ghostbusters. Yes. Let's show that prehistoric bitch how we do things downtown. I prefer <laughs> the bubbly version of her with the bugged out demonic eyes, but then again, that's just me. I like bugged out demonic would, eyes. Would you get close to you, Abe, for the flat top? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> All right, so X and Gary, you both think that this lives up to the declaration? Yes. I, I do not. Oh, I don't you, think it's a... Well, I don't think it's a fable. Just, I mean, if we're calling it a rock and roll fable what's the moral what do we learn from streets of fire uh don't Nothing. fuck with tom cody that's legit i guess but i'm just like i don't know it's a great rock and roll story but i mean if you're gonna be really picky about what a fable is then i don't know there's not really a moral to it except that you can't sleep with Amy mannequin <laughs> that's a so, good moral to learn because unless you're ed harris i guess or john candy from uncle buck yes <laughs> they they had a thing they had a in thing. that movie <laughs> there was a thing that's not a thing it's not a thing it's not a thing are you gonna ask me that question i don't give a fuck what you think no. okay <laughs> does it live up to the declaration for you matt is it a rock and roll fable one question yeah what's a fable <laughs> <laughs> You seriously don't know, do you? No, I know. Um, I don't. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I agree. I think it is a fable. It is. I think you learn stuff. You learn good versus evil. And it's a big old story. It's a big old production. I actually think that there is a bit of a fable. And a little counterpoint now that I think about it with uh, what X was saying, where there's not really a moral to the story. Uh, if you love someone enough, sometimes it's best to leave them with someone that will take better care of them than what you can. Mm -hmm. Because as much as Cody does fight and does rescue her he leaves ellen in the arms of a man who can take better care of her even though he loves her and he knows that he can't 
be the kind of man that she wants. Like he says at the end, he's not going to be the guy that will carry the guitars, but whenever you need him, he'll be there is what he tells her. So my thought is that's exactly what's going on there. It's sometimes the best way to take care of someone and love them is to allow them to be with somebody that will treat them better than what you're capable of. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So what I'm saying, Matt, is it's time for you to let your wife have somebody better. Oh, God. All right. Well, if I have to, so do you. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) I guess I should not be throwing stones in this glass house. No, you should not, (laughs) asshole. What do you think about that counterpoint, though, X? Do you think it is possible that that's the fable about the if you love someone, let them be with someone better than you? I think that explains most of my long-term relationships, yeah. See, see if you would have been able to see the the fable in this movie possibly earlier, maybe that would have saved you from some of the pain of those long-term relationships. <laughs> oh, no. Is no, that no, when no. we play the Charlie Brown theme right there? Well, you're just calling for all sorts of clips. Uh, I really am. Oh, my God. Okay, we all feel better now. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> would you actually consider this film a musical? No. No, no. Not what I would consider a musical because it has songs in it, but and they're in the film and some are performed in the film. It's just they're not really in context with the story, really. They're just kind of there to for uh, rock and roll exposition, I guess. You know, it's not. It's not like it, it, the Warriors is a more of a musical than this film would be actually because. When you hear nowhere to run of the Warriors, they're actually running from the Turnbull ACs, you know, so it's in context with the story, whereas the songs in this movie are just kind of there. And that sounds really offensive to, to the music, because the music of this film is amazing. It's written by a lot, of, a lot of rock and roll people, and I love it, but I wouldn't consider it a musical at all. Okay, I agree with you for part of what you said, but I'm going to reserve my final statement because I want to see exactly what X has up his sleeve. So go ahead, sir. You know, I, I had considered it a musical um, up until I heard what Gary said. Now I'm questioning myself. Okay. I mean, I mean, it's, it's true that the songs don't specifically further the story for the film. That's true. Um, but they're still just kind of generally describing what's going on. I mean, you know, Nowhere Fast, great song, still within context of the film, kind of generic because, hey, we all we all work at shitty diners and we have pompadours. So really, where are you going at that point? So I don't know. It's um, it's a good question, but I'm, I, I think I'm going to lean towards Gary's side and say, yeah, it's probably it's, it's a music film, but not a musical. I'm going to agree with everybody here and I'm going to kind of extend it. Now, for me personally, for something for me to be considering it a musical, it has to have music furthering the plot where a song comes in and actually tells part of the story. Hmm. But also, people need to spontaneously break into song with no reason other than it just being a musical. As in, uh, like, for instance, the Blues Brothers. Uh There are scenes in there where there are no instruments and yet you hear a full band and they're just singing along, like in the diner with You Better Think. Uh Or Repo the Genetic opera which is quote-unquote opera there's never any actual band playing yeah but everybody's constantly singing and it always breaks out in the song to be part of the plot uh another example is sweeney todd whether it's the actual musical musical or the tim burton version of the musical never any instruments but everybody bursts out into song it needs to further the plot but at the same time it needs to be for instance like music that is played on a boom box that people are dancing to and having a good time doesn't make it a musical if they go to a bar that has a band playing and the band is playing 
thing. That doesn't make it a musical. That's just part of the story where they're at a bar and a band happens to be playing and rocking it because they're the blasters. And with Ellen Ames' band, whenever they're playing in the concert, the people go to the concert to kidnap her. So that's part of the story. But it's the an, song's not telling the story. Right. And it's not incidental to just to be able to further the plot and then people break out into song. At no point in time does Ellen Ames ever just start singing out of nowhere and then it turns into this musical number while the rest of the guys are like changing a fucking tire on a bus or anything. What we do see her just bust out into song in the middle of the movie for no reason. It's revealed to be on like a TV screen and they're playing one of her like music videos or something like that. So that's why I would say no, I wouldn't call this specifically a musical. Has there ever been a more sexually menacing William Defoe character than Raven Shattuck? Just William Defoe himself. No, no, character. Not the man himself, uh, a character that he's played. Has he ever been more sexually menacing? But isn't William Defoe a character within himself? No, he's a real human being who okay. exists and, and does it- stuff that creeps me out. <laughs> <laughs> that, that happens, yes. <laughs> but a character that he's played, oh. is there a more sexually menacing character than Raven Shattuck? Well... Willem uh, Dafoe and Drag is kind of scary and Boondock Saints, but that's another story you know, altogether. Yeah, but that character's not really menacing sexually to me. I, I understand. He is, he, is, he is to his lover. He's kind of mean to his lover you know, in that, that one scene, you know? <laughs> when he's playing Marilyn Monroe in those Snickers commercials. Oh, that's... Yeah, but that's... Do you really feel like he's going to attack you at any yes, moment sexually? I feel, I feel sexually menaced. <laughs> you feel like he's going to insult you? Yes. <laughs> okay. At any given time, I turn the channel. It's weird. I feel like you guys aren't able to do this thought experiment because you can't separate the fact that you're constantly in fear of William Defoe raping you from any of the characters that he's played. I mean, can you blame um, us? Actually, I think William Defoe was Rick Masters and To Live and Die in L.A. is extremely sexually threatening. Oh, yeah. Um, because he comes across... In some scenes, as extremely androgynous, but he's not afraid to destroy his own paintings. He's got models dripping off of him and just is completely, I don't want to say careless, but he's got this kind of magnetism to him in that film where it's like, okay, this guy is cool and he'll buy me a drink, but he will probably tear my throat out with his teeth. All the while making you love it while he does it. Yes. And drying <laughs> and drying counterfeit bills in, in his spin dryer. So, <laughs> All right. So we got at least one answer where someone could separate William Defoe the man from William Defoe's characters. Well, he was playing a character in that Snickers commercial. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you have some issues with trans people that you need to resolve. No, no, no. Just Willem Dafoe. So regardless of how he's dressed, but yes. particularly dressed as Marilyn Monroe. Yes. So I think what you're... And he was very angry. You're, you're, he was very angry. I think you're sexually attracted to William Dafoe as Marilyn Monroe, and that's where you find it menacing. No, no. It's okay if you are, Matt. No, there are other we ways will I find Willem Dafoe attractive, but that's not one of them. <laughs> All right, I'm going to move on from this disaster of a question because this did not turn out how I was expecting in any way, shape, or form. With or without the Green Goblin mask on, Matt, I just want to be curious, you know. So, uh, hey, listen, what am I curious? Hold on, what am I a fucking savage with? Come on, man, what is wrong with you? Okay, I need to clarify. He's dressed like Marilyn Monroe from the neck down, but he has the Green Goblin mask on. No, no, full Green Goblin. I told you the Marilyn the Marilyn Monroe stuff just bothers me too much. That but, scares me. That is You know what? If he's if he's coming blood like in Antichrist, okay, I'm in. <laughs>
<laughs> while wearing the Green Goblin outfit? I'm confused, guys. Which outfit? Or does that not matter? Green Goblin mask, uh-huh. Marilyn Monroe dress, okay. blood jizz. These Perfect. are a few of my favorite things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a disaster this show is. Oh, oh my God. What are we? We are what, what, about an hour in and it's already... Uh, 30, 36 minutes of hell. It's, our, it's already like fucking a mess. <laughs> I almost made a really inappropriate joke and I'm glad I didn't move on. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. Is the motorcycle raid on the town after they kidnap Ellen Aim hyper-violent, or is it actually pretty realistic in a more dramatized way? I wouldn't call it hyper-violent. Nobody's really, like, yeah, beat, beat the crap out of it. They're just kind of, like, lay, laying waste to stuff, and breaking windows and being general miscreants. And, yeah, I, I don't think it's really hyper-violent. Okay, oh, so those rep skillions. But do you feel that that's realistic, the way that they're doing it? Do you Can you actually picture a biker gang raising hell like that and just to get out and smashing shit on their way out like that? Well, maybe another time in another place, you know, but like the Bronx Tale, <laughs> you know, not, not, now you just can't leave. See, that's how it works. Well, see, there's no Chaz Palmetary in sight because what he would do is somehow lock down the entire street, turn and look at them all and say, now you just can't leave. And even, exactly. Raven, and even Raven Shattuck would know he'd taken it one step too far in that burrow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot disagree with any of that. Is Tom Cody a good guy, or is he just the right man for this job? Um, r- right man for the job, because he's, he's not really there for, you know, he's not there for the money, he's not there for, for her, he's just kind of there because she was once... A, a thing with with him and now they're not but he still cares for her and he's not a total asshole he's just you know but at the same time he, he wants to put the little put the shine on and say hey let's get back together again because i'm kind of done with you so he's okay. more of a lo- lo- lover and lever kind of guy yeah. <laughs> they always pay bums like him to do jobs like that <laughs> and we know this because he says that twice in 90 seconds yes <laughs> so it's maybe partially about the money initially, but then it ends up not being about the money, and he just ends up being this noble, noble stranger. So I don't know if that makes him good or just somebody with a terrible business acumen. Hmm. Would you guys say that he happens to stray on the dark side? Just wondering. Oh, d- definitely, for sure. Yes, yes. <laughs> Matt's looking at me going, is that going to be a thing we're going to do on the episode now is, if I have to say it? Is that a thing? I don't know. Is that a thing? Find out. Dark side? Music and words, Tommy. That's a thing. That's a thing. It's a thing, guys. Guys, we got a thing. It's a thing. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, that might be a thing. <laughs> You're playing it wrong, Sal. You're playing it wrong. <laughs> now everybody's like, did we choose the wrong Michael Paré film? Yeah, right. Maybe. <laughs> Should we have done Eddie in the Cruisers? Wait, there's no wrong Michael Paré movie. I like you, X. We should hang out. (laughs) I think he's coming on to you. (laughs) Shh, don't ruin this for me. Sorry. Let me get my Green Goblin mask off. (laughs) Uh, Cover yourself in blood. I volunteer for the Marilyn Monroe dress. That's a clip. (laughs) But uh, I'm not volunteering for the blood gum. Also a clip. (laughs) Yeah, but but is Tom Berenger sadly playing the piano in the background? That's all I want to know. I'll do it. I'll play piano in the background. That's fine. As Tom Berenger? As Tom Berenger. This is the only way you'll ever be like Tom Berenger. Yes, the only way. (laughs) This episode is now called A Season in Hell.
hell. <laughs> AKA the darkest fantasy of where's the cinema psyops beef. This is the darkest of timelines. <laughs> we rolled a six. Does anyone else see a little my name is nobody going on where Cody slaps the guy with the butterfly knife and then hands it back to him after disarming him only to slap him once again and disarm him again? Reminds me of Tombstone. There is that, but I think it kind of originated with my name is nobody, but it's uh, like... It's but an, yeah, I just said what it reminded yeah, me of, not that it originated. It's, it's an old western yeah. style motif. Did anybody else see something similar to that? He saw Tombstone. I saw my name is nobody. What's well, that, that western feel, you know, Cody rides into town on Friday, stays three days and leaves on Friday. How'd he do it? You know, but uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he is kind of a cowboy coming into town, like a cowboy for hire, so. Yeah, I think it does have that feel to it. I picked my name is nobody because it's where he like pulls his gun out, slaps the guy and puts his gun back before the guy can even move his weapon. It's pretty great, man. That's probably my favorite little niche thing that they do to try and show you how badass this guy is where the guy's got a butterfly knife on him. He disarms him immediately, slaps him, shuts the knife, opens it again and says, try again, hands it to him and then disarms him again. Plays him out. Because you know, when the roadmasters are hungry, they get bitch slapped by a guy in suspenders. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, they don't really dress Tom Cody up like he's this big freaking badass. He looks like a 15th century waif. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he looks kind of like Chuck Bronson in Hard Times. I keep waiting for him to bare knuckle box somebody, you know. <laughs> I guess that's better than Chuck Bronson and Mr. Majestic. So oh, yeah. He'd be severely see, bedenimed. I think there are a lot of Western elements in this movie, and I think it's interesting. Um, was it... Th- like two, three years later that Walter Hill did Last Man Standing. Yeah, which is his version of Yojimbo, right? Right, which is very similar to this film. I mean, if it's you know another place, another time, it might be partially there. I could totally see that. So it's like an old west, wild west world that just happened to be developing to where the wild west expansion is the 1950s or a post-nuclear well, right. apocalypse. And, <laughs> and, it's, and instead of kidnapping their favorite, you know, prostitute from the brothel, they kidnapped Ellen Aim. Tomato, tomato, really. Just, well, you, know what's, you know what's missing, though? Tom Cody shooting a screaming Bruce there in a wheelchair. That's what it's missing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would argue that every film is missing someone shooting a screaming Bruce Stern in a wheelchair. I like how uh, that just killed the mood right there. Yeah, no. I, I don't I don't remember much about that film except for like the hyper violent shootout, you know, where he's like going through town like he's playing a Nintendo game like killing everybody. And that scene where he shoots Bruce Stern in a wheelchair while he's screaming at him. I, I, that's all I remember about that movie. Does Ry Coder's guitar score that underlies the film for Michael Perret's character, does it make Michael Perret look way cooler than he actually is? as Tom Cody in this film. To be fair, it made Ralph Macho look way cooler than he is in that Crossroads movie, too. But, you know, that's every Walter Hill film. Ry Cooter's score just accentuates everything in the movie, you know. Could I play a Ry Cooter score over top of Matt just picking his nose and make him sound and look badass? Oh, that twang, man, for sure. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Probably would work. <laughs> All right, folks, you know what you need to do. <laughs> With your Photoshop skills and your video-making abilities. There you go. We need a Ry Cooter score. <laughs> Darren, we're looking at you, pal. <laughs> All right, so this crazy shenanigans is going to lead us to our first clip. Sure, I'm not going to be cramping your style with any guy tonight, huh? Nah, not tonight. I bring one in now and then, but there's nothing steady. I never seem to find the right one. Yeah, I ain't have much luck in that department myself. Look, Tom, you were always real close with Ellen. She wasn't like all those tramps you used to run around with. Oh, Reva, it didn't work out, okay? Well, somebody figured out how to make it work with her. She's been living with a guy named Billy Fish. Who's that? 
You stole some rock joints in the battery. Start managing her act. Yeah. She was always interested in going somewhere. Mom, she's not just your old girlfriend. Oh, Reva, what do you want from me, huh? You know what I want. You want me to go rescue an old girlfriend who shacked up with another guy? Thanks a lot. Tequila. Hey, Tom. Tom Cody. It's been a long time, pal. How's your hammer hanging? How's it going, Clyde? Well, not so hot. I got beat up trying to save your old girl. I could use a little help with those guys. You should have been there, Tom. It'd been like the old days when we were in school. We'd have kicked ass. Hey, bartender. You gonna shoot the shit all night or you wanna give me another drink? Hey, Tom, would you get a load of this little honey? She thinks she owns the place. I'm just trying to get myself a drink, pal. Well, maybe you've already had enough, babe. You gotta be kidding me. Do I look like I'm kidding? You know, maybe you ought to pay up as well. You've been driving up a cab here all night. We're not real big on credit. Are you trying to say that I can't pay? Yeah, let's see the color of your money. There, happy? Yeah, but now I don't like your face. You know, everywhere I go, there's always an asshole. Hey, you got any preferences? I've always been a tequila man. Let's get out of here. My name's McCoy. I'm a soldier. At least I was up until about a year ago. Ran out of wars. Yeah? What's your spec? Motor pool. Nothing fancy. But if it's got wheels, I can drive it and I can fix it. That's funny. I just got out a couple months ago. Been R&R &R ever since. Yeah, how'd you like the army? I like shooting the guns. But I didn't win no medal. Is that your car? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I know. I just picked it up. Hey, Cody. It's your name, right, Cody? Yeah. You got a spare bed? You want a quick tumble, huh? Uh, you may have a rough time with this one, and I don't want to hurt your feelings, but uh, you're not my type. Yeah, I guess kind of figures. I ain't had much luck with women lately. Yeah, well, you'll live. Something tells me that getting girls isn't exactly your problem in life. Maybe some other time, huh? I doubt it, but anything's possible. Hey, look, I got the spare bed. I'm just passing through this district. I don't know anybody. I'm between jobs, and last time I heard, hotels cost money. Get in. All right, there's a little bit to unpack in that clip. Um, first question that I have that results from that, does it really seem like Cody has actually gotten over Ellen, or do you think this is the girl that he feels like this is the one that got away? It's the one that got away. He shines the whole audience on and the whole movie, basically, for the whole time, saying that he loves her, but at the same time, they're no longer a thing, so it, it, he's kind of like being cool about it the whole time until you get to the end, of course, and, you know... Well, you did love him. You gotta let him go, kind of thing. Kind of like me and Miller High Life. <laughs> Oh, yeah. My thought was also, too, I think he's never really fully gotten over her. And I think that the more he is protesting about how he doesn't care anymore and the way that he demands the money to do it and all the stuff that he's doing is a very almost toxic, masculine way of responding to his feelings. Where he's like, it's about the money. I don't care about the girl. Yeah. It's about the job. It's what I got to do. I got to do this. It's uh, got nothing to do with the fact that I miss the way that she used to snuggle with me and make me feel like the world was all OK. You know, hey, you OK over there? buddy yeah it's just i i get that feeling where he's just trying so hard to be like i don't know gary cooper and i'm fine i had my tear ducts <laughs> removed in the war <laughs> yeah got my emotions blown off by a landmine <laughs> I ain't got time to cry. <laughs> I ain't got time to be all weepy and sad. Is but, he Gary Cooper or is he Steve Martin and the jerk? That's what I'm thinking. He's trying to be Gary Cooper yeah. but he's Steve Martin and the jerk <laughs> is what he's ended up as. <laughs> I don't need this. I don't need you. And just nothing. I need this. This ashtray. And that's all I need. Maybe this chair. <laughs> Paddle ball game. Is anybody else emotionally distressed by <laughs> Bill Paxton's pompadour in this film. Oh, it is massive. If this movie were in 3D, you'd shit yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you'd be in danger of losing an eye if he swung that head at you the wrong way. 
if, it's if, over, if, man. If, if the real Ghostbusters, Egon Spangler, was real, it'd be personified <laughs> Bill Paxton. <laughs> if you bleached his hair, yeah, Bill yeah. Paxton totally could have played that yeah. cartoon character of this. Rest in peace, of course. Yeah. Oh, man. It made me a little sad to see him, but yeah. he's being total Bill Paxton in the 80s, just like oh, over yeah. the top and having a good old time. Love it. I was going to say, I feel like the older brother from Weird Science. This is his yeah. new job. <laughs> yeah. After he stopped being a douche. After he, got, after he got turned back into a human for being a piece of shit. Yeah, he stopped being all chet, so he went and combed his hair up into a big old pompadour and decided to become a bartender and chill. I, I like to think that Bill Pax and Harold Ramis are hanging out together in heaven wearing that pompadour haircut. <laughs> talking about how they both should have been Egon and <laughs> the real Ghostbusters. Yes, but indeed. Talking about how their hammers are hanging. <laughs> I, th- I think that bothered me more than the hair. There's your hammer hanging. I'm thinking, how about ha- hello? <laughs> the, the, these how are two guys doing? who had, these are two guys who had sex in the same room with women before. You know, like they should get the twin beds to save money. You know. Oh god. <laughs> yeah, he does are talk about tra- how they uh, used to hang out back in the day in high school. Are so. you are you trying to tell me they might be Eskimo cousins? Could be Eskimo brothers. Yes. Yes, or Eskimo brothers. Oh, so you're saying that they were switch hitting while in the the motel room together but that, yes. that's possible yes <laughs> like maybe they, they they had two girls but you know in the middle you Chinese fire drill and then <laughs> both in the same snow drift <laughs> <laughs> oh the strange paths to pleasure that get revealed upon this show <laughs> You yell Chinese fire drill, and I know exactly what you meant. Yeah. <laughs> Besides your casual racism and yelling it. <laughs> I know, right? Instead of get out of the car, run around it in a yeah, circle yeah, and get ready. back in. Well, that takes too long to say. By that point in time, the light's green. you got to start driving. <laughs> Fair enough. Does anybody shoot a gun shopping scene better than Walter Hill? No. <laughs> I totally agree. Of all of the ones that you can think of off the top of your head where the guys are either tooling up or getting their gear together or going looking for it and purchasing it, can you think of one that you like better that Walter Hill specifically has done than this scene with Tom Cody and the arms dealer slash garage guy? Well, I like how he gets them, but the, the Warriors is exponentially better, you know, where they did all the gangs are, are suiting up and weaponing up and, you know, it's more of a nice look at all these different gangs, but there's only like a couple gangs in this movie, so it's not that kind of movie. Okay, yeah, I see that where you have multiple people getting their tools ready and getting suited up to go out for the big meeting, and they're packing even though they're not supposed to be packing. <laughs> not be like after Cyrus gets shot and they, oh. they're going after the Warriors, that that scene. Oh, where they're tooling up to go hunting, yeah, that's even better. But yeah, right. th- 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 there's two getting ready to go montages, I guess, in that movie. You know? but, uh, there you go. Yeah, well, you got the on the way to the meet and then on the way to kill the fucking warriors for what they've yes. done. <laughs> All right. X, do you have a different one that you can think of? Um, No, not really. I like this one a lot. I was thinking about 48 hours to see if there was something in there, but no, not really because just it's just Nick Nolte's gun being stolen. And then he gets another one. So, not that great. There's a pretty neat one in another 48 hours when the two biker guys that had gotten out of prison that were looking for vengeance do a tooling up, but I don't think it's better than the Tom Cody one, and it's certainly
certainly doesn't beat out the Warriors when the Gary already mentioned for me. So I think Gary pretty much nailed it. I think that's probably the pinnacle as far as I can tell. Of course, it's been a long time since I've seen Extreme Prejudice, so maybe there's something in there. I don't oh, know. it's it's a good one. Yeah. You guys haven't seen that movie. It's a good one. Yeah, it's been a while, but there's some good tooling up stuff going on with those guys, too, because it's sort of like his version of the Dirty Dozen almost. Yeah. Doesn't Powers Booth just start pulling weapons out of his teeth like he's just been storing them in his mouth the entire time? Uh, I believe that that's just one of the Powers Booth's powers. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, you want to weigh in on that, or you're not enough? I'm going to get you a second. Would they all arming up in that? That's not a Walter Hill specific. Film. <laughs> oh, okay. Right then, the then I don't know. Real. Yeah, but that I'm going to get you sucker. Yeah, that that tooling up scene is pretty fucking hilarious. Yeah, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> and then when he falls down, <laughs> I'll accept your answer just because you're not educated enough in Walter Hill, and that's yes. the best that you can do. Uh, thank you. You get a participation star there. Buddy. Yay! <laughs> that's going to lead us to our next clip. You must be Billy Fish. Yeah. So what gives? And make it fast. My time is valuable. You want Ellen Aim back? I'm gonna get her. You and what army? I can see you two are gonna get along just fine. I want ten grand. Easy. All you gotta do is earn it. I'll earn it. And you're gonna help. Reva told me you used to live in the battery. I started out there. It's the shits. I wouldn't go back to that dump if you paid me. You're going. I need somebody who knows their way around. I don't think so. It's not my scene. You want your meal ticket back, get in the car, otherwise the deal is off. Look, Cody, you sound pretty dumb, but nobody's that dumb. I'm the one paying you. That means you go get her, I wait here, and you bring her back to me. You smart guys. You always figure you can hire a bum like me to do your dirty work. Well, not this time. Can you really get her back? You got a better volunteer? All right, I'll go. She's real important to me. You know, the battery's gonna be nothing but trouble. Yeah? Well, I'm getting paid for it. Right, Fish? That's right, Cody. Cut me in, I'll back you up. I don't think so. Hey, what's your problem? We're not taking no skirt along. Look, I don't think you can handle it, okay? What do I gotta do? You know, people don't exactly have written references for this kind of work. You should know that, Cody. I need the job. I'm plenty good enough, and I ain't gonna let you down. Listen, skirt, let me make it simple for you. Take a hike. All right, I'll cut you in for 10%, but get this. You're working for me. I tell you to do something, you do it. You don't do more, you don't do less. And if you start dragging your ass, I'm sending you home. Got it. Hey, what is this? Get serious. I'm not paying you any extra to take some sweetie pie along for company. You drive. Don't worry about it. They always hire bums like me for jobs like this. Has Rick Moranis ever played more of an asshole than he has in this film? Has any other character he's played been more of an asshole? Yeah, I, I don't I don't think so. Listen, do you know how much this suit costs? What's <laughs> my time's worth? <laughs> he is that guy, is he not? Yes. He He's a pretty big smug asshole in this movie who who kind of turns to jelly at the end of the movie because he sees the air of his asshole dumb and, you know, there you go. It's a... Uh good stuff yeah, yeah. I, I i totally agree i can't really think of anything off the top of my head like and i was really trying like i can't think of anything where he's played any other kind of character that he's played has been an actual prick i mean there's been a couple of guys that maybe you know didn't see the error of their ways but usually he plays this lovable lug of a guy or a lovable but really intelligent dude. maybe in uh the beginning of the the parent trap no not the parent trap um oh parenthood parenthood yeah and towards the beginning of that he's kind of a dick yeah I can, that's probably the closest he's it's been like, to being a, but he's still, but he's like he's so well intentioned in trying to be the ultimate father. And, yeah, and too well, he wants his daughter everything. to be like the smartest thing yeah. in the world and all that. 
he wants what he perceives is best for his daughter, and he's just kind of a prick to his wife during the whole time while doing it. Yeah. But he thinks what he's doing is best, unlike this guy who's just, you know, an asshole. 24-7. Yeah, for the sake of being an asshole. Yeah, because he can get away with it because he's rich. I can't think of, I mean, Rick Moranis usually plays these lovable guys, like, in everything. Like, you just he seems like the kind of guy that you just want to hang out with and maybe share an ice cream. <laughs> he's an asshole in Spaceballs. Yeah, well, no, he's surrounded by assholes yeah. in Spaceballs. Come on, get it right. <laughs> Everyone on that ship is an asshole. <laughs> Who hired this guy? <laughs> yeah, he is kind of a dick, but he's still lovable even in this film. He's a dick. When will then be now? Soon. Okay. Very soon. What happened to then? We passed it. When? Just now. Oh, no, X. You see what you've done? You've just gotten him quoting Spaceballs now. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you have to be careful with mm. this one. He, mm. he doesn't remember very much, but what he does remember <laughs> is Spaceballs to quote it. <laughs> Space right. I can already see his Schwartz is bigger than mine. Yeah, I hate it when my Schwartz gets twisted. I can assure you, X, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you get for podcasting naked. The small truth is going to be known. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's what I call give me the raspberry. Court and, <laughs> and I both have sweet little eyes. Anyway. <laughs> it's micro penis time with humongous balls. And the table across from me here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Gary just totally made a reference and we just stepped right <laughs> what, all over. What was it? I can't even remember now. <laughs> Gary, what'd you just that's, say? That's okay. I'm not going back now. <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad. It was the raspberry. He said about giving the raspberry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Does anyone else think that Torchies is the kind of bar that they could get into hanging out at. We, we talk about Torchies 48 hours or Torchies this movie because they, they, they have a kind of a shared universe there, you know. Maybe that's the portal where all these movies connect, with kind of like what X was talking about. Maybe Torchies is the, the general place. Could be. All right. Well, let's say specifically to this film first, and then you can pick your favorite version of oh, Torchies. Do they serve alcohol? This is Torchies. Of course they do. Okay, then I can get down at Torchies. I'm talking about the blasters are up there playing rocking out like kicking ass like they were in the film is there booze yes then i could get down at torchies stop trying to upsell me i'm already bought in wow okay well, well torchy torchy seems like a pretty t a biker bar but it's kind of like a tame biker bar that you could hang out at and not get in too much trouble unless you really started some shit with somebody so I, I picked this Torchies because the other Torchies is kind of a racist cowboy establishment. So Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. I like this version of Torchies. Even if they do have an anorexic Gozer, the Garzarian stripper in Peter Murphy garb. <laughs> no, why do you say that like it's bad? I, not my taste. Uh. <laughs> <clears throat> I don't like any people at all. <laughs> any of them. <laughs> Fuck them. <laughs> Stupid, healthy, thin people. I'm not talking about the people that are thin because they're starving. I feel sorry for them, and they should probably have some of my fucking food, Lord knows, but... <laughs> for the starving children. Yeah. No, I just particularly the Gozer the Gozerian, although this time around watching it, I, I enjoyed her striptease a little bit more than what I have in the past, uh, but that's mainly because up until this point, I had no idea that the band playing at Torchies for these scenes was actually the Blasters, and I was actually a pretty big Blasters fan. I just never put two and two together because I hadn't really watched this movie a lot until uh, I just got it recently on digital about a year ago and that's when I had the realization and then I'm like oh my god the blasters that's awesome so you get a little live performance from them with some striptease in this more low-key biker bar it seems to me like they're basically this is their hangout this is their joint but this is also where they recruit from so they want mm -hmm. people to come in and they're accepting of them but the nastier shit happens in the back rooms you know where nobody's allowed in unless they get 
a special invite, including like the poker games where you may not leave alive if you don't, you know, you can't pay the debt that you ring up and that kind of stuff. So I, I feel like there's some sinister shit going on in this Torchies. And maybe if you get far enough back in there, it does turn into the racist uh, redneck bar. <laughs> Anybody else got another version of Torchies or you want to answer whether or not you would hang out? Well, Matt would. Gary and I would. X? I think I would prefer the Torchies from the driver just because Bruce Dern might show up. <laughs> Ooh. And if I'm going to hang out at a bar, we have we have a I'd want to hang out with Bruce Stern and potentially Ryan O'Neal. And it's still time I've been sexually attracted to Ronnie Blakely. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's it, man. She looks a little rough now, but I told you, you look good, the driver, babe. That's right. <laughs> it's really weird. We seem to have a predilection for Bruce Dern. <laughs> we want to shoot him in a wheelchair. We want to drink with him in that version of Driver's Torchies. <laughs> Guy's got a lot of feelings here. Most of them for Bruce Dern. <laughs> oh, if you listen to that one episode of The Beef, I have bad feelings towards Bruce Dern, you know, <laughs> because he beats up children, okay? Gary got some hate. Got some cowboys hate. Oh, the cowboys. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like Bruce Dern more for hitting kids. Go for it, buddy. <laughs> what? That's I'll a kick clip. a baby. That's a clip. I'll, I'll kick a baby. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Punt that shit like a football. <laughs> I'll kick a baby right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so these not quite coveralls. Are they coveralls where they have the, the straps that come over and you put a shirt they're, they're on? They're waders. You're going to go yeah. fishing. Yeah. Okay, so these not quite coveralls, sort of waders <laughs> that are made out of pleather that William Defoe has on that just conveniently cover his nipples. That, those things that he's wearing while walking around Torshies. Is that like some type of a fetish wear or? No, it... in a deleted scene, they all go fishing. <laughs> he's, a, he's a fishing enthusiast. This, this entire movie. <laughs> Is fetish wear. No, seriously. Is he, that, he, he, is, he wakes up real early to watch that old man fish on TV and, you know, it's pointers <laughs> and he takes the bombers out and they go fishing. <laughs> seriously, that looks like fetish wear to me. Does he have like a fishing fetish then? Is he getting off with his pleather fishing pants? <laughs> yeah, it could be, you know, because when, when he walks, I'm sure he, he squishes stuff around out there because he, he ain't wearing no underwear or anything that thing. So he's wearing, that's why he's wearing pleather because if it was leather, he would chafe. And, you know, that doesn't work out too well. Are they just his rapey pants? because they're easier to drop off because all he's got to do is pop the straps and he's ready to go on Ellen Aim. I don't think he would call them his rapey pants. Those would be his romantic time pants. His fall in love with me for a week or two pants. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think they just serve to keep the blood off of his Marilyn Monroe dress. <laughs> back to the Marilyn Monroe dress. I'm really not happy about William Defoe in those hip waiter nipple covering the strap things. Yeah, but, I think but it, not, not, would not, you not be the, happier if you could see his nipples? I don't know. Like, I honestly don't know. I think I'd be even more creeped out. Like, the only way it could be any worse is if the straps went straight up the middle and he had these little pasties. The waiter thing, like, it just, I guess it's because it doesn't make any looks, sense. When he looks towards anything, do you feel like he's watching you? <laughs> I feel like he's constantly <laughs> under my bed waiting for me to fall asleep. <laughs> Sleep. Hey, you sleep yet? No? All right, just checking. All right, so they run into Ed Begley Jr. Uh, is he just being himself in that scene, or uh, is he actually acting? <laughs> I don't think he realized he was in the movie. Yeah, I kind of get the feeling that this is just Ed Begley Jr. like being on his earth kick where he's like, you know, if I don't shower for a month, cut my hair or brush my teeth and live off the land and the borrows. We... That sounds like something that he would do. Right? I mean, that's as soon as he pops up, I'm like, oh, so 
Ed Bagley Jr. just incidentally is here. Yeah. Being himself. Yeah. No, I'm they sure. built the set around him. No, I'm just teasing. I'm sure he's a very clean cut and wonderful gentleman who just happens to be really into saving the earth. Unlike me. But the, but the way he survives is by going fishing with the Palmers. <laughs> he's secretly the one who's making the fetish wear hip waders. For, That's right. <laughs> for Raven Shattuck. Not, 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 picture, not picture Tom Scarrett in those same leather waders teaching Lee Ving how to fly fish. <laughs> Okay, so it looks like uh, that Ed Begley Jr. one fell flat, so we're just going to move on to our next clip. Well, looks like I finally ran into someone that likes to play as rough as I do. Yeah, this must be your lucky night. I'm lucky? I guess maybe I am. You're dumb. Real dumb if you think you can pull this off. I think you're forgetting something. I got the gun. I can get guns, smart guy, lots of them. Now, why don't you tell me your name? Tom Cody. Pleased to meet you. I'll be coming for her. And I'll be coming for you, too. Sure you will. And I'll be waiting. How would you stack up the raid on Torchies with the other action sequences in Walter Hill's films? Oh, it's pretty great. I mean, it's really simple. You got Tom Cody with, with his... Uh, and I always think of one thing when I think of him with that gun is uh, Chuck Connors and the Rifleman because you got the same kind of like rifles and he's just hanging on top like 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 a good marksman does and just he's real efficient about it and I love that I mean he he's breaking the, the those beautiful visible gas pumps that are probably worth a, a fucking bundle now. You know, and gonna blow shit up. He's blowing the bombers to hell, and he's aiming for the gas tanks, obviously. So it's, it's very efficient, and I, I kind of appreciate about that scene, the precision of it. He definitely gives a very good distraction technique with everything that he's doing by creating yes. all that chaos on the outside. He makes well, it he so McCoy he, he can could, do what he, she needs to do. Yes, because I love, I love McCoy, and I'll say that all day long. <laughs> yeah, we haven't really she's given a, enough love to Amy Madigan as McCoy. She, you know, she's always been that actress, even, even Uncle Buck. You mentioned Uncle Buck. She's always been like that 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 ball breaker that I, I've always enjoyed in films. And this film is probably her, her the best version of that, you know. Now I read somewhere, and I don't know how accurate this is, this might just be one of those internet rumors, but McCoy was originally written to be like a, a male lackey, and she came in and read for it and owned it, so they just made a few changes and then turned McCoy into a female character. Anybody else hear that before? It sounds about correct, but I'm not sure. I want a picture that that is absolutely true, because I can just totally see Amy Madigan coming in and being like, listen, fucker, this is my role. <laughs> and winning it, you know? Now as far as this stacks up for other action sequences, does the overabundance of explosions and all the crazy shit that they do, does that kind of help with some of the, like for instance one of my favorite Walter Hill sequences again I'm going back to another 48 hours but when the bikers come in and try to kill uh, both the cop, <laughs> and I always want to call him Axel Foley because he's always <laughs> Axel Foley to me even though that's not the Eddie Murphy character in that <laughs> but every time I try to think, what's Eddie Murphy's character's name in that? Reggie Hay Reggie Hammond. Okay. And they're trying to kill, they're trying to kill Reggie and they're trying to kill Nick Nolte's cop character. The two bikers and they go into the strip club and they just shoot the fuck out of the place and the guys are barely getting out of there. That's one of the better action sequences for me that I can recall in a Walter Hill film of just like a place being raided and shot the fuck up. Uh, This is kind of a little bit almost the opposite of that because instead of coming in and blowing the hell out of the joint on the inside, he's blowing shit up on the outside and then when they're all outside trying to figure out what's going on and solve it, he comes in and does what he has to do to get Alan out. I think one thing to to remember though is that when you're looking at Streets of Fire 
fire, you're looking at a PG-13 film or a PG film, whereas the 48 Hours movies were all R-rated. So with Streets of Fire, you've got a lot of things exploding. There's a lot of flame. There's not much bloodshed. There's just a lot of stuff going bada-boom. Whereas you get into the 48 Hours movies, yeah, there's people getting shot. There's titties. There's every, you know, there's everything you'd want from a hard R movie that Walter Hill can provide. Streets of Fire is not going to be on that same level just because of the rating. But for me, it still kind of transcends that, though. The action that they're able to supply and the things that are going on. Like, in my mind, the guys that are on the bikes that are getting exploded, they got fucking shrapnel in them, and they're not making it out alive. Like, he fucking murders people left and right. In that sequence, I picture him murdering people with that. Like, I actually think that those guys are dead. They feel, but, they, but they feel more like collateral damage. Yeah, I get what you're saying. It's not direct hits. You're not seeing, like, a misfire where he gets some lady walking by in the head like you would get in the strip club in another 48 hours with that kind of bar shootout and that kind of stuff but i almost feel like even though it's pg-13 i feel like the violence that's in this even though it's a little stylized to make it to stay at pg-13 it still has that feel for me where it's every bit as violent as the other stuff even though you don't get the boobs and the actual bloodshed okay i don't know yeah, that's actually yeah I'm, I'm feeling you brother i'm feeling you i mean honestly until you actually said it's a pg-13 movie my brain didn't even register that it's pg-13 like i didn't even think about it that way i was just like oh man this violence so it totally works on me I don't know. Maybe it has something to do with the fact I watched it a lot more when I was younger than watching it now as an adult and trying to, you know, compare that kind of stuff that I'm trying to have us all look at. Well, it's like it's like you mentioned, like the the the, the wild one, you know, films that those all those biker films from back in those days, they were going for that kind of feel of that kind of violence to where it wasn't hyper violent, but definitely they were doing some damage. More like being a menace to to to, to society than tr- trying to really hurt somebody. You know, what'd you say about my it, mama? <laughs> Because <laughs> in the end, you know, Willem Dafoe was just looking for a companion, you know, somebody to, to hit for a couple of days and, you know, be his own personal, I'd imagine, cum dumpster and uh, just, just leave her be, you know. He's, he's kidnapped a woman to rape her incessantly. That's what's happening. And that's fucking awful. And it is. The implications, the, yeah, the implications that are going on, even though you don't really see anything and the way that things kind of work out, but the, the stuff that's just underneath the surface is every bit as grody and disgusting as any R-rated fucking Walter Hill film for me. Well, there's still Christian Mingle in another time and another place. <laughs> <laughs> that's where your most rapey fuckers hang out, I'm just saying. <clears throat> and according to this, this is rated PG, guys, so... P- PG, Jesus Christ. But it, but it was made in 84, so to yeah. be fair, they did not have PG-13 ratings in 84. Yeah, and I can see where it wouldn't get the full hard R because there isn't, you know, well, there's a little bit of boobage, but, you know, not not like serious nudity like you would get in a, another type of shootout at a bar or anything like that. But you can't even see Willem Dafoe's nipples. <laughs> <laughs> I know we're all very sad about that. We really are, X. But dude, Charles Dickens would want to see the nipples. <laughs> <laughs> Plus ten for Gary's reference to Scrooge out of nowhere. Nice. <laughs> and I just pictured that scene too. Can you see nipple there? No, you can't. Can I move her? No, no, you really shouldn't. <laughs> Not there. See, you can't see nipple there. You should fine. Damn it! Another comedy that Matt has memorized. Okay, I really enjoy all of the stuff that takes place on the bus, particularly where Fish tries to throw around his quote-unquote weight trying to talk about how he's you know mr money man and all that kind of shit as a matter of fact that is our next clip this is great just great you want to help change this tire shorty changing flat tires isn't exactly my line of work dear if that's the case then why don't you just shut up you know i try to write songs you know i just can't seem to figure out how to do it right the way you do it 
Now, I can't forget how you work out the rhymes and the melodies and you make it all come out. Somebody else writes the songs. Billy buys them or steals them. I can't write for shit. I always thought those were your songs. I just sing them. Yeah, but when you sing them, you make it yours. That's the way it is, right? I guess so. Who knows? The famous Sorrell sure put a lot of money into that bus, huh? Listen, Cody, I didn't know you had a thing with Ellen in the old days. You gotta get some smarts. Learn to adjust to the fact that you're out of the picture now. You see, Cody, I do things for her. Things that a guy like you could never do. Things that matter in the real world. You know something? The only trouble with kicking the shit out of you is it would be too easy. Keep your hands off the suit, buddy. Come on, hurry the hell up with that flat tire, Eddie. Let's get going. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two. Like I said, I love him trying to quote unquote throw his weight around and try and act like he's getting his masculinity back in some way, shape, or form, and just being shut down by everybody. Watching Cody and McCoy deal on the crooked, racist cops is probably my second favorite part of the movie. What's everybody else think about that scene? That's pretty great. You got a, you know, John Carpenter and Walter Hill, um, Peter Jason, and they're doing his thing. Just being a general asshole, you know, looking for that that pat money for them to move on. And uh, of course, they're they're really quick to give it to him, and he thinks that's a suspect. So you know, he gives somebody something. They assume you're up to something, or you got more. So there, there you go. Just typical shitty cops yeah i was really happy to see him pop up in the in the film he's one of those that guy actors where like i honestly don't know his name that's why i'm saying he's a that guy to me he's worked with he worked with the coens so much he worked john carpenter so much yeah walter hill so much all my favorite filmmakers he's worked with if he if if they throw him in a wes anderson film I think it'll be complete, I think, you know. (laughs) I think my favorite role of his is the guy running the resistance in They Live in the the back of the church. That's probably the best role. That's him, yep. Yeah, I fucking love him in that movie, but I never know the actor's name. And then, like, he pops up in uh, In the Mouth of Madness, and it's a little smaller role, but he fucking owns that part of the movie that he's in. And I love him in Prince of Darkness when he's playing the mouth trumpet the whole damn time. Holy (laughs) shit, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Because he's not in that very long either. He's one of the guys that's setting up the equipment, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And his part and his partner on the bus is Matthew Lawrence, where if you were alive in the eighties, you know that guy. He was in like Sadamo's Fire and he was on the Santa Barbara soap opera for a while, had that amazing kind of curly mullet, you know? Yeah, he was also in um, Roxanne, the Steve Martin yes. film that was a Sergio yes, yes, yes. the Berziak or whatever remake. Yeah, <laughs> yes. that's what I know him from. And he was in Cop Rock, so bless <laughs> oh, him for that. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> I never thought I'd ever hear Cop Rock brought up on the show. God, the more you say it, you give it power. It's like fucking Beetlejuice, man. What is it about Walter Hill movies and weary late night train rides home? I don't know. It's just like, yeah, they all they all play a role. I mean, gets them back to the forest of the Richmond, gets them back to the forest, forest of the Coney. Uh, the chief shows up at both of these movies doing a thing, you know, and I don't know. Tr- public transportation rules, okay? I have a theory. A lot of Walter Hill movies deal with main characters who are transient. Ah. Not necessarily even characters with names. What was the driver's name in the driver? Driver. The, the driver, driver yeah. right? So... Yeah, these are people with no home, no past, probably no future. So, yeah, that late night train ride to wherever they're going, that's just like, that's just a depressing kind of existential crisis end to every day. But to be fair, the late night trains, especially on the red line in Chicago, you get the best white devil speeches you could possibly hear. (laughs) (laughs) I miss those days. 
I actually really like the train ride in this film, but I really feel like that scene is kind of overshadowed by how he did it in the Warriors because it's compared to those group of kids coming in from like a homecoming dance or a prom or whatever and they're hitching the late night train home and then yeah. all all the people in the Warriors that are left alive with uh, <laughs> the the orphans lady. <laughs> also- hey, here you go, whore. I don't want this to go to waste. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> But like all the all the kids just are having a great all, grand old time, and then they sit down and they look at them, and they're all just fucked up. They're bruised, they're bleeding, and she's got like a rip in her dress, and her hair's all tussled, and she feels less than, and she's trying to fix herself to look a little bit more presentable, and she's just so self conscious with them around while they're looking at her. And Swan just reaches out and grabs her hand, and he's like, "Don't you do that? Don't you bow to this shit?" And you know, he's almost like, "Just put your hand down. Don't you show them any sign of feeling like you're less than or." Weak and then the kids all just get really silent as he starts staring back at them and then leave in this film it's overshadowed by that because it's just this really dramatic thing that's that's laid out in front of you to show what their lives are like and what this like being in a gang is wrought for them whereas the ride home with cody and the gang they're all just kind of like worn out doing that like thousand mile stare ahead and some of the people are talking some of them aren't but it's all just pretty much like this we're home free we're okay now whereas with the warriors you still don't know what's going to happen with the next stop and i i feel like he's trying to recreate that but he doesn't quite get it you know orphanages very flammable you know <laughs> we're back to that it yes always, with gary it always gets back to orphanages yes all right we're down to one page guys so we are also on our next clip oh Reva, cut it out we made it everybody's in one piece what about that ella you okay yeah, I'm all right, I guess. No, she's not. She's tired. She's been roughed up. I'm going to take her back to the hotel so she can get some rest. This whole thing started because I had to do a gig in this shithole. I should have stayed the hell away from this dump. Is that the way you feel about it, Ellen? Yeah, I guess I just want to get away from here. Go back on the road. Now you're talking, kiddo. Come on, let's get out of here. I hate you for taking money to come and get me. That's telling him, Ellen. I guess she doesn't like you much, Cody. She doesn't seem real thankful. Yeah, one thing about you, Cooler, you catch on real quick. Yeah, that's right, buddy, and I get the job done. Good, because I think it's just starting. I want Tom Cody. I want to nail that son of a bitch's head to the sidewalk under that marquee that says Ellen Aim on it. And just to prove to you, I'm going to be a nice guy. I'm coming in with just two of my men. After I take care of Cody, there'll be no more trouble. Do your job, man. Keep the peace. Hey, Cody. I need a drink. Come on, let's get out of here. Maybe I can get lucky and pick a fight with that bartender. Nah, not this time. Hey, McCoy. Look, I'll get you your money later, okay? Is that all you got to say? I'll get your money to you later? Yeah, that's all I got to say. What else do you want to hear? And look, I did real good back there. So what? I'm all out of medals. Besides, you're getting paid. You know, Reva, Ellen Aim was right about one thing. Your brother's a jerk. Okay, so this clip actually brings up a pretty important question for me. Is everyone pretty much just expecting too much out of Tom Cody emotionally? Yeah, everyone, yeah. everyone I mean, you know who he is by now, and everyone thinks at some point he's going to have this turnaround where you're going to go, oh, God, guys, I'm sorry. Let me, let's get, I let's can all, fix him. Let's, let's have some hugs. with me. Yeah. 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 I mean, in the, um, his, his little buddy character, for lack of a better term. McCoy. Yeah. But I mean, for lack of a better term, that's his little yeah. buddy character. The, the buddy. Yeah. She, she feels well I talk like I talk like him I don't give a shit like him you know we were both in the army all this shit we're both hard asses 
obviously he'll open up to me. Yeah, and we she, can go hang out and have a drink. Yeah. Yeah, and, and he'll but he'll open up to me. Yeah. In which that means her facade is all bullshit and she's looking for someone to open up to where he is that cold and kind of not unfeeling, but just not big and sharing anything. He's like, fuck, I'm just gonna sit here. Leave me the fuck alone. He's closed off. He's totally yeah. closed off, particularly in this part she portion wants, of the film. She wants to believe she's closed off, but she so badly wants to open up to him and have him open up to her. That's yeah. the one thing I noticed is, yeah. you know, her her personality is kind of bullshit because she's just using it to not get hurt by people. Where his is, that's just him. Well, and Ellen, I mean, how long has it been since he's fucking seen Ellen and she's totally expecting him to yeah. be coming to save her because he loves her? Uh-huh. And how long have they been apart and how long have they not been in each other's lives? And she finds out he's coming for the money and she gets pissed about that at the beginning of it. It. And geez, he was in the military. He's going to port to port. I mean, come on. <laughs> Not the Navy. He's just in the military. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, they go more to this, and which I'll, I'll probably talk about towards the, the back end of the show, which in the sequel, Road to Hell, you know, more about his soldiering. But I'd imagine he became more and more desensitized as he ran out of wars to fight, if you will, as he he left to escape, you know, her, obviously. And now he's back again, and it's, it's starting all over anew, his feelings for her, kind of, but not really, you know. Well, I mean, he's not quite Mad Max yet, because Mad Max wouldn't wear those braces from merry-go-round. But at the same time, <laughs> at the same time, he's not the guy you want to, like, sit around a campfire and make s'mores and sing Kumbaya with because that's not going to happen. Yeah, and Tom gets dumped on by everyone for not living up to what they're expecting of him. I mean, the cop even ends up warning Tom just to leave town and that he should get out of town because he doesn't give a fuck about him at that point, though. He's just like, get out of town because you guys are going to cause damage if you and Raven butt heads, and I'm going to be stuck in the middle of it. But like everybody in the in his group, like McCoy's looking to have someone that she can actually be buddy-buddy with because she knows that him and her have some of the same life circumstances, and maybe she can find someone to identify with like Matt had described Ellen is just pissed because Cody doesn't love her anymore regardless of how many years they've been apart and why he left whenever she dumped him in the first place because that is they do say that right Cody is dumped by her and that's why he runs off to join the military right yes no she wanted to do her career and stuff yeah she was doing music stuff and he kind of felt like 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 he said, he wasn't going to carry the guitars. Yeah. So maybe he preemptively broke up with her, maybe. But more or less, he saw the writing on the wall that their relationship wasn't going to work because she was going to be famous or whatever musician. And but he how, just wasn't going to But how, how egotistical is it of her to just assume that he'd spent all that time away from her, you know, pining for the fjords? It's just, <laughs> that's not that's not realistic. I know. That's She's the one that's like the most outlandish about why she was angry at Cody for not living up to what she expects. McCoy, at least, is trying to make a friend and trying to connect with someone that she has something in common with. She has every right to be pissed whenever he doesn't tell her she did a good job and that they should go celebrate by having a drink together, you know? And then Tom's yeah. sister, his long-suffering sister, is just so happy her brother's still fucking alive. And his response is, yeah, everybody's fine, fuck off. No, it's everything's all right. <laughs> yeah, like you just like yeah, get off me, Deborah Van Volker. Listen, uh, okay. will you stop badgering me? All I asked is, is you wanted the salt. Go, just stop badgering me. Go wax your mustache and leave me the fuck alone, sis. God damn. <laughs> you may be my only living blood relative, but I fucking hate you too. I want to feel shit. Just leave me alone. I gotta. Why go are you pushing here. me? <laughs> 
Yeah, I am sounding a little bit like Stallone when I'm doing that. You're Listen, right. I've got, I've got <laughs> a brood. <laughs> Pardon me, I'm going to know over here in Christopher Lambert. <laughs> <laughs> so whenever the cop tells Tom Cody just to split, you kind of get the feeling that he actually is looking just to leave at first, and maybe that's why he lashes out at McCoy at the end there. I'm not 100% sure. I just kind of get the feeling that maybe he's feeling guilty because he knows if he does leave, the bombers are going to destroy everything and they'll probably get Ellen again, and all of his work is for not. I don't know. Does anybody else get that that feeling too in this part? Yeah, in a way. Yeah, it's where he's from. It's where he, not where he lives, obviously. But he still has ties there. So I'd imagine it's it's imagined to uh, protect her and protect the neighborhood as a whole. And because he knows that they're going to come back and start some shit, and got to kill him down to the last cowboy. You know. I also well, in this th- case, in this case, take out one cowboy and they all run. I also kind of get the feeling that he hasn't had enough of fucking up Raven Shattuck's day. I think. Sh- oh. I think Raven rubs him the wrong way. You can take that however you want, Matt. <laughs> I, I think that just knowing that Raven's out there, he exists. and that I take Cody, it the sexy way. Okay. Knowing that Raven's <laughs> out there and that he exists and that Cody hasn't smashed him into a fine paste on the cement bugs him. I think Cody really has it out for Raven every bit that Raven has it out for Cody. Oh, most definitely. Definitely, definitely. I think McCoy is just mad that he had to give up his promising career as a parapsychological researcher to become a cop in this shitty town. <laughs> yeah, but they get to drive Studebakers. Yeah, well, I know, but they don't get to throw tennis balls through portals. They come back covered in strawberry jam. Yeah, but my love for Fozzie the Bear knows no bounds, man. <laughs> when Cody states that he is only taking the grand to kind of shove it in Fish's face, and then he throws the other nine grand at him, he pretty much is saying that for Helen's benefit, right? I mean, he's not doing that to to shine on Fish and be like, fuck you, your your money means nothing to me. That's to well, tell Helen he still loves she her, right? Lay, she did lay, lay that guilt on him first. That he just kind of had her just roll, roll the play. You know, do you think if she wouldn't have said, I hate that you took the money, do you think he would have just kept it? Oh, uh, you, you, you won't know now. She laid that, that <laughs> guilt on him, you know. Let's throw a thought experiment. Maybe she just hates the fact that it had to be him that came to get her. Maybe she says that to him, you know, instead of about the money. And then he has to make the moral choice to tell her that he actually does still care about her. And that's the way that he does it. You know, like, is that the possibility? Or do you think that he's like, oh, maybe she's right. Maybe I shouldn't have taken the money because I do kind of still love her. Well, that's throughout the film. He does still kind of love her, but, you know, he can't have her, obviously. So he, he just makes out with her in the rain, you know, back to the Cary Grant thing, you know, <laughs> or well, Gary Cooper, whatever to call it, you know. Well, it's he misses her, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, he misses her, and he doesn't want to admit that he misses her, and he doesn't want to admit that she's the one, the only one that really ever meant anything to him. Well, he and, keeps her picture. You know, now he's like, oh, fuck this bitch. He obviously kept this picture for a long time. It looks a little rough, maybe a little sticky as well. I, I couldn't tell you for sure, though. <laughs> okay, so is this I, one of those star-crossed lover things where they never got over each other? I mean, is yeah, that what they're trying to imply? Definitely. And so that winds us back to the statement where we thought that maybe Ellen being presumptuous that he would still care about her or expects him to. Maybe she's hurt that she still cares about him and all these feelings that arise whenever he pops up to save her. And the fact that it's about the money hurts her more than anything. Yeah. I didn't think he about doesn't, that. He, he doesn't want to feel feelings to begin with, for crying out loud. I mean, if it was a case where, you know his reward was that justice has been served, then he would have been free to stay. He could have stayed with her with no 
you know, accompanying baggage that all would have been cleared out. The fact that he, I don't know, part of me thinks he just should have taken the money and said, thanks, job well done, bye. $10,000 buys a whole lot of Coke and hookers, even if you're giving 1000 away to McCoy. Well, wait, what's... Especially if you're Michael Pere. Yeah. What? Also, yes. what's the conversion rate, though? Maybe 10000 ain't that much. I don't know. In that time and in that place, 10000 looks like it's a whole shitload but What of time and what place is that? <laughs> uh, another time? Another place? And another place? God yeah. damn it. What's the conversion rate? I gotta know how many hookers and how much blow. Well, if Amy Madigan can pay her bar tab for several, several drinks with just change being thrown on the table, I would say that it's probably in $1950. So $10,000 would be oh my a God, whole that's, shitload that's of That's a whole shitload of hookers and yeah. a whole shitload of blow. Yeah. It was actually it might be 1950s galactic credits if she's still using coins. <laughs> Credits will do fine. Uh, now you know more. You know than anybody else. You know it depends on what you what you want to do. Depends on how much to hook across. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> don't get fancy with a hooker. All right. All I'm saying if, is, if you, looking if, at Michael Pare, he probably wants some weird stuff. <laughs> butt stuff. Just, it, you just it, have to ask yourself, what would Ario Speedwagon do? They take another run, baby. That's right. <laughs> and they can't fight that feeling anymore. No. Yep. They've forgotten That's what awesome. they started. I don't, I don't know what he wants to do with that hooker, but I bet it's from the dark side. Oh, yeah. I've been waiting for you to hit that. <laughs> wow. I pulled that out just for you to be able to make any kind of reference so I could play it again. Well, you guys get like really into this director. And I don't know a lot of movies from this guy. So, so well, let, me, let, me, let me tell you, Matt, the whole, for, the whole first year series of anniversary shows for Cinema Beef yeah. are all Walter Hill films. So, yeah. All right. That's how big yeah. Gary is on Walter Hill. Nice. That's now, what, I, and I'm not, but I heard uh, 48 Hours is something he did. Yeah. I love 48 Hours. See, there's a lot of Walter Hill films that you've probably seen that you don't realize I just don't know, realize yeah. it's him. Uh, that's because cool. you're lost in the dark. No, that's not what I meant. Uh, no, I have no control over it. You have no control over this. I guess this? it's just that word, and it'll it'll trigger it. I don't know. Really? I mean, because sometimes I feel like I'm being pulled to the dark side. I guess it's just that word. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. Whatever. Much like the emperor, dark side. Okay, I guess. Yeah, I guess. All right. This is the only time you've ever been able to have a Star Wars reference pay off <laughs> on this show. Yes. All right. Yes. Does it feel like the movie is being set up for Cody to get killed at the end here when he starts making his amends and saying all his goodbyes, particularly with the Ellen Aim thing here? Like, do you think maybe this he wasn't supposed to win the sledgehammer fight? I love that that's a sentence we get to say on this show. Sledgehammer. I, I, I think he was always meant to win because yeah, even from the beginning, he's, he's, he's always so sure of himself throughout the entire film. I kind of get this and, messiah complex thing going on because when he's making his amends and saying his goodbyes, it feels really sad. I got dour. the same feeling that you got. Yeah. I, I didn't think he was going to live through the end of this fucking thing. Just this time around when I was like, were they trying to set that up? And then they decided to back out because it would fit with the Western where the hero like Shane style dies at the end, you know, yeah. Tom Cody. Oh, come don't, back. don't bring up Shane in my presence, man. They're going to make me cry or something. <laughs> man. I'm sorry, but y you get what I'm saying, though. Or like um, High Plains Drifter, maybe. I don't know who dies at the end. <laughs> I don't, John Wayne. I don't want to say the Cowboys. No, don't don't oh. bring that up either, dude. Is, is, is there a little person in, in High Plains Drifter, too? Or is that another one? I forget. Now. <laughs> I don't remember. But there is a way. Western trope where the hero sacrifices himself at the end and then that that saves the townspeople and I've kind of felt like they were hinting at that trope and maybe just didn't pay it off well but there's also the western trope of you know who was that masked stranger who comes in and saves the town and then wanders off to meet Lee Van Cleef somewhere so I think that's what they were going for more at the end of this than Tom Cody is going to die a tragic lonely death 
Yeah, he's not that kind of guy. I do agree, but he, I got that inclination. But I like I like where you're going with that because if he goes off and hangs with Lee Van Cleef, maybe he's the one who taught him how to be the master. God, I hope so. Where'd he get that medallion? The master ninja? He probably got it from Tom Cody. Tom Cody probably took it <laughs> off of Raven Shattuck after he fucking beat his ass. I don't know who any of these people are. It doesn't matter. Okay. Yeah. You can be lost in the dark. But... <laughs> God damn, damn it. it. You beat me to it. <laughs> So I was gonna say that I, I, I think Michael Prey has one of those Fred the Hammer Williamson contracts for every time he lives and he gets the girl. Maybe that's what it is, you know? <laughs> yeah, but Fred Williams is more justified than Michael Perez. Michael Perez, you know, your man does not age. <laughs> yeah, something unnatural about him. He must be an actual I, fucking Anne Rice vampire. Oh, no! I see the picture of like like last week, and he does not age. Fred Williamson. Does anyone else cringe when Cody knocks out Ellen with his fist? Um, uh, not really, not not really, you know, because it's been done in other movies, not like to be abusive, but to kind of like, okay, she's the, she's not she's not gonna stop, so I might as well, you know, you know, put her, put her out, not not that not in an abusive way, but to say. Okay, I'm putting you out for you not to hurt yourself. Listen, I just got done with death sentence, or I've already been to the dark side and back. <laughs> just any excuse now. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. I pulled it for this. Yeah, reason, no, so. come on. <laughs> I pulled it for a we're lot finally- of reasons, but I pulled it for that specific <laughs> reason. For, for, for lesser Dwayne Jones and Night of Living Day, you sort of slap a white woman. I can respect that, too. You know? <laughs> Jesus Christ! You know where Gary's going? Dark side? Definitely dark side. <laughs> no, I kind of... It's really a, a weird place to be because a man hitting the, a woman makes me cringe in any film for any reason. Yeah. But at the same time, Cody's being pragmatic because literally, Amy Madigan would probably have to do the same thing to keep her on the train away from him for what he needs to do and to get her to safety. So I, I just, I don't know, maybe chloroform the lady, you know, be a little more gentle with the way you knock her out before you do what you're going to do. A little jello, perhaps? <laughs> yeah, whatever. Take her virtue. The dark side. Side. <laughs> Again. No, but before you put her in the dark by knocking her out, you should probably try to reason with her. I don't know. <laughs> Are you did you really just advocate chloroforming the lady? What? Like, did you just advocate chloroforming the lady? In the situation where you need to get Ellen out of town to save her life. Uh-huh. Instead of punching her, you yeah. should chloroform okay. her. Because I mean at first that was kind of dark. <laughs> well, we're going heavy on it. Yeah. <laughs> it, it could be worse. You could send her to work at one of R. Kelly's fuck houses throughout the country, you know. Oh, my God. Gary, do you need someone to talk to, man? You all right over there? I think. All I'm saying, if I was as obnoxious as R. Kelly and I had a whole bunch of money, I might have houses throughout the country where I have, where I have fuck buddies to, to, to hang out with, too, every, in every city, you know. Just and, uh, where you can pee on them in freedom? In the closet. Well, it depends, it, it depends who they're into. You know, I, I, would, I would always ask permission first. <laughs> <laughs> Gary's polite. Then you're nothing like R. Kelly, yeah, apparently. You're very little like Gary Kelly. R. Kelly apparently didn't ask it anybody. All right, so does anybody else, does it bug anybody else besides me? No, I mean, that's always uncomfortable. Yeah. Okay. It, it, was, it was done in, in context of what he needed to get done. Well, it was either going to be him, it was either him or McCoy who knocked her out, and she she would probably would have taken that from McCoy, so. Because it was like it was like sudden. He, he didn't do it out of anger. He did it out of you know necessity. She wasn't going to leave it alone. Does it prove that he's not a hero then? Well, you know, he's a dark hero. 
<laughs> like the Giver. <laughs> He's nothing like that, the Giver because he doesn't have uh, Mark Hamill in the film as a detective for no reason. <laughs> oh, How disheartening is it to see the whole of the biker gang roll up with a shitload of guns all decked out in leather at the end scene here? Mm, it's, it's, it's pretty great because, you know, it's... it's well, they, all the town, town folks probably have guns, too, but... Yeah, and where were those guns like an hour and a half ago? Yeah, when they were raiding the town and kidnapping Ellen. <laughs> well, they were all in the guy's trunk. <laughs> that part where Tom Cody goes to get the rifles, that guy's got a trunk full of guns. He probably donated it because he knew shit was coming down, or he just made a whole bunch of money because everybody spent that week's grocery money on a gun to get at the bombers. You would think there was a Sasquatch coming or something, you know. <laughs> I think the guns are necessary to imply an actual threat because really a bunch of guys on motorcycles wearing, you know, leather maxi dresses is not incredibly threatening. Oh, I don't know. I think Matt finds that incredibly threatening. Everything's threatening. <laughs> well, well. <laughs> you need to get out more. No, I need to go out less. <laughs> That's why he's so threatened. No, I like that scene where he basically rolls up with two of the guys, one of them being Lee Ving, and when the cops have all the guns and they go back on their word, he blows that air horn and everybody rolls up all at once, once again to the Rycoder score. Maybe it's the Rycoder score that just makes it more badass yeah. to me. Oh, it makes everything better. Yeah, it totally does. But I like the idea that he totally knew that they were going to fucking double cross him or he just didn't care. He was just waiting for Cody to show up and then they were going to basically destroy the town after he fucks Cody up anyway. Was maybe his plan. I don't know. But but at the same time, they're keeping honorable because we, we get to what comes next, which is, you know, how many films can you say have a sledgehammer fight in them? You know, th that happens in this movie. It's just him and him versus Raven. And they kind of just stand back and say, let's see who's going to win this. They're not in there like pushing Cody around. They're not even cheating. They, they could be like stabbing him in the arm or something or doing something like that. But they're not even interfering. They're just kind of everybody's just kind of hanging back until the end result happens. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. You think that's on Raven's orders, though? Do you think Raven wanted to beat him fair and square to show he's not oh, half as tough? D definitely. Because Raven know. doesn't seem like the kind of guy that cares about a fair fight. I think he more or less wanted to prove that he could do it on his own. And that he's the more manly man. Yeah. Anyone else uh, really enjoy watching Lee Ving punch out fish? Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fuck, yeah. Now, is it just because it's Lee Ving or because fish has been a prick the entire time? Well, it's Lee oh, Ving. It's a combination of both. <laughs> little column A, little column B. Yeah, I like watching Lee Ving punch anybody out, even if it's just a wall in fucking Eric Stoltz's apartment. <laughs> Wildlife reference. You right. watch oh, that, I movie. Seen that movie. Oh, oh yes! <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. That was more for Matt because I, he actually did that I, movie with I, I me ages I made ago. myself forget that movie. <laughs> that was a good one, though. It was. Yeah. But it came right before oh, a, a, the, a the rape of, fest. Yeah, the rape fest. So, oh. unfortunately, everything good before that yeah. got tossed out. All right. So, you guys have kind of already answered this question. Uh, I can't think of any that actually represents this, but is there a better sledgehammer fight on film than this? I don't think there is another sledgehammer fight on film other than yeah. this. I can't think of one. I've been sledgehammers but used if, in movies. If there is, I'm sure this one's better. That never sledgehammer versus sledgehammer. Yeah, there would be like one guy with a sledgehammer and another guy with a different weapon, but sledgehammer to sledgehammer fights. I've never seen anything ever done or even yeah. attempted. And yet the choreography in this, and you actually see there's a couple of shots where the guys are getting hit with the head of the hammer uh -huh. and you watch them buckle under it. And I really want to see an R-rated version of this Walter Hill directing where blood flies out and shit's getting fucking broken. Oh. Like, I really want to see Walter Hill take another crack at this. Yikes. I wish I could make that happen. Like a, a sledgehammer fight in a really brutal and violent way. Because this still feels like 
very visceral, even though nothing really is bloodied up. You know, there's PG. There's yeah, there's no blood in it at all, but it's a very visceral fight. Now, do you guys actually like the bare knuckle version where they get into the bare knuckle brawl where Tom Cody actually drops his hammer instead of just killing them outright with Raven and they just start doing the fisticuffs? Oh yeah. You, you get that great Willem Dafoe scream and that's that part, you know, because he's so he's so upset that he's losing, so he just bum rushes him, which you don't want to do ever. So just Michael Perry in general or Tom Cody, you don't want to bum anybody, rush. Anybody. Well my god, I like the Michael Perry's is is tough as Tom Cody, but that's more of a fantasy than anything else, you know. <laughs> I might meet him one day. He has a real weak handshake, and I'm like, well, yeah, he's, he's okay, you know. <laughs> There's that's one fantasy quelled and just destroyed for Gary when he meets Michael Perret and he's got a sissy handshake. I'm weird like that. I, I, I've always been taught if you have a weak handshake that you're kind of a bitch, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what about if they have sweaty palms? Oh no! Then you're fired like a toy. You know, <laughs> he has very s- sweaty hands. You know, would you have liked to have seen Raven get taken out by the sledgehammer at the end of the fight and just make it go, or do you think that they needed to do the fist fight portion to show that Tom Cody is actually an honorable man? Again, PG. You okay. know, you you, would, you yep. wouldn't have seen him finish it with this with the sledgehammer. I don't think. Okay. And like you said, the honorable thing would be then them to duke it out. Because like like I said, nobody's even even interfering in the in their fight. But she, these these are some rough and tough guys. You think that maybe helping out their boss Raven in, in the fight by just kind of like maybe maybe throwing a bike chain at him or something like they were at the beginning of the film or something crazy like that, you know. But they're, they're they're doing nothing but just waiting for the for the fight to end, you know. You think that the samurai films that had some influence on some of the early Western films is being felt here, and that's why there's more honor among these guys with the battle because they know it's mano a mano. Definitely, I think all Hill's best movies are about honor. This is about honor. The Warriors is about honor. Um, Southern Comfort, which is my favorite Hill film, is about honor. So that's a huge theme through everything he's ever done. So yeah, of course. Okay, so the tale of honor does that lead into the rock and roll fable part that we were talking about at the beginning? Then next potentially, hmm. just something. Essentially, I can I can see that. Um, another thing about fables, though, of course, is you can take the moral and wrap it up usually into like a two verse rhyme. And I'm having a difficult time doing that with Streets of Fire. So don't fuck with Tom Cody. It's more of a haiku. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to lead us to our final clip. Great, huh? My new discovery. Take him right up the ladder. Yeah, they ought to make you a lot of money, Fish. But don't worry, Cody. I'm not going to stand in your way with Ellen. I know how it is between you two. There's one thing we both know, Fish. She needs you a lot more than she needs me. She needs me, but she loves you. She'll get over it. She's used to me being unreliable. Is that what I'm supposed to tell her? You're okay with words. You'll make her feel better than I could. Take it easy, Cody. Thanks. I'll take it wherever I can get it. Guess you're just gonna cut out, huh? Yeah. You know me. Yeah, I know you. You're the guy with the right hook. Is that it? Is that all you have left to say? Look, I know you're gonna be going places with your singing and stuff. And I'm not the kind of guy to be carrying your guitars around for you. But if you ever need me for something, I'll be there. All right. And we're at our final question. This is the most important question of the evening. Do you want more concert performances or band performances in the film than what are there? No. Yeah, I think it's just enough. But then again, they're placed in the right places. So that helps things too. They're not like out of place. Sort of like chapter markers? Yes. 
I think they're yeah. It's bookended. You get Ella name at the beginning, Ella name at the end, two live performances, and then you get that video of Sorcerer pretty much right in the middle. There's some blasters and some you know Frank Hooter instrumental there scattered about. So yeah, I think it's perfect. You guys have all stated your case, and I got to agree with you. Although I love the musical performances in this film, and I honestly can't think of someone who has shot musical performances more rocking than what we get with Nowhere Fast, the Blasters performance at, at Torchies, and then the ending, that Dream About You <laughs> performance yeah, with yeah. Robert Townsend and crew just kind of chilling yeah. out and doing their doo woppy stuff. In yeah, that's that that song is probably the biggest thing that came out of this movie because it's yeah. still looking heavy radio play today. Yeah, and I know everybody and their brother will recognize that song and I, almost all yes. of them have no clue it came from this movie. Yeah, Never seen I didn't this know movie that ever. Until I saw it, I didn't know that. I yeah. was like, hey! Yeah. And it's so a, they've, heard, they've, they've heard that song at least two dozen times yeah. in their lifetime. And it's a really nice way to, I can dream about you. It does further the plot, as Gary was kind of pointing out further, because this is where Cody makes his peace with the relationship that's going to end up happening with Ellen and Fish, and he's saying goodbye to Ellen, and that's literally him saying, well, I can dream about you, but we'll never work as a couple because I won't carry your guitar. And it's just really masterfully done, and it just kind of makes me want to see more of a performance. Plus, I like seeing Ellen with, uh, I forget what the, the name of the band is that is doing the version of I Dream About You, where they're all acapella the, together. The Sorrells. The Sorrells. Some of them have lovely cherry curls, and it's yeah. beautiful. You know, I would actually love to see a band where like I would love the idea that the Sorrells join the attackers so it's like Ellen Aim and the attackers featuring the Sorrells and they go on a concert and they all perform like this that would be in a massive just amazing show and I guess that would be like it, it, it'd be Diane Lane and the time <laughs> <laughs> I, I got nothing after that that's gonna just pretty much close this one out so let's let's wrap it up with our, our final thoughts here <laughs> All right. So overall impressions of the film, I still love it. I have a childhood love of this film. And it's one of those ones where I watched it a ton as a kid, completely forgot about it, lost off my radar for ages. Found it again because I think outside the cinema had covered it. And I immediately went and downloaded it because I hadn't watched it in like forever. It's all just memories of things. And perhaps it doesn't fully 100% live up to my warm and fuzzy feelings as a kid. There's a lot of stuff where I have to admit it's very aged and that another time, another place feels an awful lot like it's an 80s movie <laughs> you know but overall man I still fucking love this movie and it still fucking works for me and if nothing else the music just keeps me coming back I love this soundtrack uh, for me uh, the the dialogue was heavy handed the way it was delivered was a bit heavy handed the acting's a bit heavy handed I feel some things are repeated like they really want to hammer you home that Rick Moranis isn't a, a really important rich guy you know just a lot of things like that however I also enjoy the music i enjoy the kind of time warp that this movie can take you on overall i enjoyed this movie awesome i can't disagree with some of the dialogue stuff i really felt at this time trying to watch it with a critical eye yeah i think if you just sit back and like if i wasn't watching watch it, it for this show yeah i bet i would i, I wouldn't have looked at, i probably would have said to myself well <laughs> uh, we get it rick moranis you're worth somebody all right we get it or you're important or we get it, guy. You're a loner, and you, you don't want to yeah. talk about your feelings. I get it. But at the same time, that, that would just been a one-off joke, and I would have just sat there and enjoyed it. it yeah. You know, an 80s movie, man. You know, sometimes they're fun to watch again and see, like, man, we were fucked up. <laughs> I also think that Rick Moranis was supposed to just constantly get under your skin and make yeah. you hate him. I, I, I agree. I can't wait till uh, somebody does a podcast about movies they were watching in 2017 going, oh, you know, 30 years from now, and they're like, wow, 10 to 2017. 
2019. What a fucked up time that was. They wouldn't be wrong. I love this movie, and it has some flaws, particularly, I think, in characterization. You know, Raven's just pretty much El Guapo, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Oh, we need to do the Three Amigos sometime, man. Yes. That'll be a blast. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. So, if you look at Raven as El Guapo, and you look at McCoy as Jiminy Cricket with a shotgun, which <laughs> is a lot of where you were saying, you know, things get hammered home. Yeah, if she's the moral compass of the film. And that's bothersome because she's so, she just yammers. Just, just sounds like a parrot. Um, but yeah, I like this movie because it's essentially, this is a mixtape. This whole movie is a mixtape. And I used to really dig mixtapes back in the 80s. So um, yeah, it's kind of held together just by its own balls. <laughs> you know, because it does a lot of weird shit and puts a lot of strange things together. But it works. Just like my balls. I, I do enjoy the music. You know, it's, it's, it's definitely a part of the film. But then again, the, the, these these great characters that are not really fleshed out, so you don't know what quite to think about them. I think that that's service to the film, you know, because um, you don't know much about, like, McCoy or what she does. Besides, she's a, besides, besides she's a soldier, she's just this tough-ass lady. And um, Cody probably is the most rep, um, reprehensible person in this entire film. You root for him, but you don't root for him because he's there. He's here to help, but he's kind of an asshole at the same time. So you don't know what, what to think about him. And then at the end, he leaves and uh, w- w- with McCoy, which is kind of perfect, you know, because soldier or whatnot. Um, but the film itself, it's just a big old, big old love story to, uh, you know, the, the 50s and the, the 80s all, all kind of mashed together. I love the old school Harleys and the, the Studebakers I mentioned and, and um all the classic cars in this film. If you're a classic car enthusiast, you've never seen Streets of Fire, I'd say check it out because there's some pretty pretty nice ones in there. Um, of the Chicago feel to it, I say that often, but they, they built the sets on the Universal Backlot to look like Chicago. So th- there you go. I'm justified. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. But um, yeah, Diane Lane, you know, I, I didn't fall in love with her, with her here. It's a... Uh, because I didn't see this till much, much later, much later, much like most of us. A lot of us, I'm sure, have heard about this film from somebody else and then watched it later. I was in my 20s. I fell in love with Diane Lane in Six Pack with Kenny Rogers. And there ain't nothing wrong with that, man. <laughs> uh, for me, it was The Outsiders. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. But she don't got her boobs sticking out of her shirts in that movie. You know, that that's... I was that also, when you, I was when also you're a young man. Young. <laughs> I was super, super oh, young when I saw The Outsiders, so... I, I was like seven when I saw Six Pack, and I'm pretty sure I felt something moving down there when... <laughs> She's, uh, yeah. So between her, Leah Thompson, and Annie Potts, I think they, they helped me hit puberty pretty fast, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, I have, I still have a lot. I've watched, I, I've watched it one and a half times while we've been sitting here doing this program on, on mute, just because I wanted to get the feel of it while, while we were doing the show, because I, I didn't watch it for this show, because I've seen it so many times. I know all the tropes and, and a lot of the dialogue. And E.G. Daly wearing a skin-tight cat suit's really hot. You know, it's, it's uh, yeah, Dottie, you know, I'm a loner, a rebel, you know, that kind of deal. But uh, E.G. Daly will always be the singer from Better Off Dead at the prom for me. Uh, or Homecoming yeah, or whatever. That's good shit. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it'd be um, a disservice to me to, to not bring up the, the sequel that Albert Pune made that not many folks have seen, unfortunately, because it, it didn't really have a release uh, per se. It's played at festivals and he's done screenings of it. And I think for a little while he offered it to people, you know, to, to, to buy. It's like a, a digital download type thing. 
The Road to Hell is basically him. Tom Cody is basically in purgatory ch- trying to find Ellen Aim. And uh, on the way, he meets up with Raven Shaddix's daughter, played by Claire Kramer, who you may have seen him bring it on. And she plays Glory and, and, and the fifth season of Buffy. She says she's in some stuff. And um, he's it's basically a redemption. It's, 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 it's nothing like this film. It's basically like a redemption story because at this point, him and McCoy have gone. I forget if they, they go back into the army or they go on like mercenary missions for other people. But they've been they've been fighting and killing people for like all these years since they've been away. And this is like fucked up with the PTSD. And McCoy is, is dead because of him. And he feels guilt from that. But anyway, this is all about him in a way finding himself through going to look for Ellen, who, who is no longer around. But he's going to look for her anyway. But Albert Pune made this movie through brain disease and seizures, you know, and ter- terribly is terrible problems. But he, he finished his film, lost lost half of it, but but managed to, to fix it through his crew and through his actors. And I think it's it's a beautiful film. And then if you guys want to check it out, I recommend contacting Albert Pune on Facebook or his uh, lovely wife, uh, Cynthia Curnan, uh, C-U-R-N-A-N, and, um, to see if you guys get a copy to watch. Because I, I if you like the first one, you want to watch something that's totally different from the second, from the first one and the second one? I, I recommend you guys check out Road to Hell, and I, I, I just, it's a high recommend. So check it out. So that's how you get a hold of it. You contact the man directly. Yeah, because you can't. It's not really available anywhere to like stream or even like illegally download. I, I, I wanted a copy of it. So I, I went, I went looking the hard way. I mean, the, the, the easy way to, to say, hey, I wonder if somebody ripped it and you know put it on the on the internet. Nope, they, they didn't. They, they, it's just not there. So I, I would contact Albert Pune to, to see if I can get a copy, you know, to watch. Well, if it'll work, I'll definitely give it a shot because you've got me definitely intrigued. And you're not the first mm-hmm. person to mention it. I've, I've heard about that, I think, when I listened to the Projection Booth episode about Albert Pune ages ago, they mentioned that. And I think they mm-hmm. did a Streets of Fire episode, too. So definitely interested. I think I'll- if you look at the actors who play the Sorrells, that's amazing. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Richard Lawson, Michael T. Williamson, Grand Bush. And is there a better name ever than Grand Bush? No, that's that's a Bush that's grand right there, man. Exactly. It's a that's super- a 70s Bush right there. It's a superior, <laughs> superior name. And Robert Townsend is the only one we didn't mention besides <laughs> Yeah, that's the only one um, that I recognize, but everybody else was a that guy actor to me once again. Uh, Stoney uh, Jackson. <laughs> Robert Townsend likes likes the song and dance movies. Yep, yep. <laughs> Guilty Pleasure, Five Heartbeats. It's out there, you know, if you guys want to watch that movie, you know. <laughs> All right, Gary, what would you give this out of 10? Oh, it's not perfect, but I love it. If I got I to be proactive here and give it an 8, because there's not... Everything's that great about it, but I watch it a lot, so it gets 8 out of 10, you know. Excellent. I'm with G. It's an 8. Let's make this simple. I'm going to give it a solid 8 as well. I totally agree with you guys' assessment on it. It's one of those films where I can't go any lower than that because I love it, but I can't go any higher because it does have its flaws, as everyone's kind of pointed out here. My first watching with a critical eye, I got to go one below you guys. I'm going to give it a 7. That's fair, because this is the first time that you've watched it. And I had to watch it. Now, maybe if I watched it like you, like just normally, maybe it might have gotten a solid 8 where I could just enjoy it. Yeah. But when you're looking out for stuff and you're trying to, you know, pay attention... Seven. No, I can totally see that. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a little break here. We will play a promo from another podcast. We will have a little bit more music coming from this amazing fucking soundtrack. When we come back, we will do that PSYOP news. I'm Cootie. My name is X. And I'm Chef Al. And we're your hosts on the Kiss the Goat podcast. On our show, we're going to break down some of your favorite devil movies from the past 50 years. We also drink and talk about religion. 
which is a terrible idea. That is a great idea. And I'm going to give you some great recipe ideas to go along with the movies that we've been watching. We also answer questions from our listeners on every single episode. And I also frankly discuss my sex life at really inappropriate times. She does! I do! It's the thing! I tell terrible jokes saying what I'm drunk. And I haven't been paid yet. They said they would pay me, and they, uh... Kiss the Goat! Exclusively on the Legion Network of Podcasts. Uh, seriously? Can I get some money? Just do the job, Al. I'm going to have to go up a half a point just for this fucking blasters tune, man. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the, this schoolboy loves his pie and his rock and ride. So <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, I fucking love the blasters and having them pop up when I knew who they were after, you know, just checking it out about a year or so ago really, really brought the movie up to another uh, level. How about me. this? You go up a half, I'll go up a half, and that's a solid eight across the board. <laughs> to an average? <laughs> yeah. Works for me. So All Matt's right. final score is 7.5, and I'm 8.5. That's right. There we go. Solid eight. So the Where's the Cinema PsyOps beef has totally decided that it is a solid eight across the board. There you go. You know what else would make me a solid eight across the board? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> Give me some PsyOps. Dudes. Oh, Jesus. That was terrible. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, hurricane victims call sex hotline after FEMA mistakenly tweets the wrong number. Oh, tears are good lube. Exactly. <laughs> so it's rained, apparently. Uh, several Hurricane Irma victims called a 1-800 number for help and were offered phone sex instead of hurricane relief assistance. I got a terror, and the only solution <laughs> is cock! The Miami World Herald reported that the Federal Emergency Management Agency's Region 4 office actually tweeted a number Wednesday which offered assistance to people dealing with damaged roofs. Ooh, is that me getting a metal rod shoved up my rectum? The number was supposed to be a 188 number, not a 1-800 number. Welcome to America. Hottest talk line, guys. Hot ladies waiting to talk to you. Press one to connect free now, said the recording. Who in the fuck took my paper clips? Somebody yeah, that's going to be difficult. <laughs> Those were my paper clips. The worst part is they probably got charged for that shit. Oh, fuck. Think yeah. about that. Because it's a 1 900 number. Oh. It just goes to show you how fucked. And this was like a government thing that they fucked up. Yeah. What's FEMA? FEMA. What the fuck do you expect? 
Yeah, well, LucasAid hate chip, basically. His administration set that shit up for him. Yeah, you. no shit. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, that's, like, all for the funny news stories uh, this that's, week. That's considered a funny news story? That pretty much out I'm of everything that I got. I'm here. Um, oh, as a quick update to our news last week, the breaking yeah, news. Yeah, we have to kind of amend it here. Yeah, yeah. Um, the gentleman who was shot in the road rage incident that we reported Less than last about week. three blocks from my house. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, died of said injuries. Did they catch the guy who did it? They just apprehended okay, the suspect good. today. So I don't know if he's guilty or not, but they apprehended somebody about it today. So Jesus Christ. Yeah, I don't know if you guys heard last week's episode, but Matt was late to the studio because there was a shooting <laughs> and a road rage incident about three or four blocks from my house, which is not a normal occurrence it's in, not. in Omaha, let alone my relative. My, I mean, my neighborhood's not like However, we the just newest had, neighborhood ever. But you We know. also just had nine shooters shootings in the past 24 hours so yeah it's getting crazy out <laughs> omaha what the fuck is going on i don't know man we're, we're fucking getting crazy but uh this is not the sickness with which i am down <laughs> trying to bring us back up but it ain't working uh, uh, <laughs> right i didn't i didn't want to have to way to lower the that, tone but uh <laughs> i thought it was important to say there's more stuff in the group if you want to grab it that's what i'm gonna part. do okay so you guys want to weigh in on the whole FEMA giving people a porn line? Do you think they're trying to elevate their spirits? Well, it's pleasure through pain, really, if you think about it. <laughs> it's like a sprinkler going off. What, when you call yes. a porn line there? Is that what you're saying, Matt? Yes. Gosh, at least it's not happening in Puerto Rico. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's terrible down there. I, I hope that somebody's going to take care of something for them because they're our territory. <laughs> we need to be helping them out. Yes. <laughs> Imagine well, then, that. Then, then again, Flint still does, doesn't have clear, clean water, so they, they're right in the ball with that. So. Yeah, that shit with Flynn is just ridiculous. Right, I got another one. Okay, bring it, bring our spirits back up, please. All right, this uh, this one comes from uh, a good friend, Vanessa. Oh, uh, really? Yes. I'm gonna shove the uh, porno magazine down your throat. Well, that's not news, now, is it, Vanessa? No, no it is not. Uh, usually, you have to pay double for that kind of action in it Vegas. It always comes back to dick. Well, let us read the story, and yeah. we'll tell you. Well, kind of does. Dozens of dildos wash up a beach in dick. Italy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I want to know how this happens. All right, how, pray tell. How does a group of like a shitload of dildos wash now, up on If you on guys beach. love it when I mispronounce shit, this article is going to be the bomb for you. Lifeguards near the Hermitage of Camaldoli Monastery. I'm not going to bother trying to help No, me. I wouldn't. Were forced <laughs> to ban children from swimming. Vacation was cut short for families visiting the beach on Italy's western coast after a deluge uh, of dildos washed up D at deluge. seaside. Deluge. Fuck, man. I don't know. I can't speak today. And of we're back to dicks. Exactly. Kids were banned from the beach near uh, the monastery, which is located near Naples. It always comes back to dick. After uh, volunteers uh, uh, from the uh, Licola Marie Clean Association stumble upon the phallic toys while cleaning the area. I love that you know how to pronounce phallic. I know, right? It's <laughs> micro penis time with humongous balls. Umberto Mercuro is the president of the Coastline Cleaning Group and explained to the sun that garbage often ends up in the area because of the way that the sea currents flow that or they just as a sport mocks the party. end of the channel's course. <laughs> So everything from uh, how does that explain a group of fucking dildos? Though, like a lot of dildos showing up. Yeah, it, I mean, good lord, it must be a lot because sex toys are still currently being removed. It's not clear yet how long children will be banned from the area. It's worse than a fucking bathroom at the RNC. Good God Almighty! I think it's actually a school <laughs> of dildos. <laughs> 
That's cool. <laughs> Matt, just, Matt just got the joke that I made about the RNC bathroom. <laughs> then he comes in with the school. Yeah, he scooped it right out from underneath me. That's what X does best. <laughs> all right, so my spirits are relatively oh, lifted talking about all of these dildos washing up on Italian shores and Naples. Well, well y- y- your answer is a party on Natalie Wood's boat, but, you know, X and I both don't know what, what kind of wood doesn't float. Right, X? Jesus. That's right. Dude. Come on, man. Dude. (laughs) Not soon enough. (laughs) (laughs) All right, folks, we're going to take another break. We'll play a promo for one last podcast. We're going to have one last song that's from this kick-ass soundtrack of the movie. When we come back, we will close out this show. There is no spoon. Yes, there it is. Okay, okay. Can we just talk about the damn movie? Danger, danger. High voltage. When we touch. When we kiss. The flying guillotine is an awesome weapon. It's not practical. It's not even aerodynamic. But it's awesome. Chaps, could we possibly just talk about the movie? Easy Rider is cool. Yeah, it is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Easy Rider's cool. If you consider they're doing thousands of miles in the desert and they have fuel tanks the size of a pea. You'll get three miles out of that. Oh, not to mention one of them. One of the tanks is full of money. I call bullshit. Okay, okay. Can we just talk about the damn movie? Obsessive Cinema Discourse. Where podcast worlds collide. Damn, Jim Steinman knows how to fucking write a song that'll get you moving. Yes. <laughs> I feel like I just want to walk down a dark alley and brood. <laughs> if you've never heard Jim Steinman's solo album, please check out Bad for Good. It is incredible. All right. Definitely will. Bad for Good. Got to check that out myself. Before we close out with our normal show housekeeping, let's just do the roundtable and everybody talk about the shows that they have going on, especially the ones on Legion. Max, I'm going to put that to you first. You can find me with Gary on the Cinema Beef Podcast, but I guess you've probably figured that out if you're listening to this. <laughs> you can hear me on the Theme Warriors Podcast with Mike Merriman, Doug Tilly, and Iris. Sav- I can't even pronounce her last name, so Sarabia. I don't try. Sarabia. Sarabia. I keep I keep spelling it oh. wrong in my head. So see, Gary can't say words either. Max, 
Your ex can't say words either, so... Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> also, I'm on the show called The Food Chain, which is a podcast about animal attack movies that I co-host with my wife, Cootie. And we also host Kiss the Goat, the podcast about devil movies. Now, please, hang out with us on Kiss the Goat during October. We are releasing five episodes, one episode each week, and a special Halloween episode where we discuss the most terrifying movies we've ever seen. It's the five movies you meet in hell on Kiss the Goat October. Hey, oh, real, man, I'm stoked. And real quick, X, you went fast for me. I was trying to write that down. Uh, this other podcast, uh, it's called uh, Beef? Something with Beef? Cinema Beef. We're talking to them right now. Cinema Beef. Cinema, yes. cinema Beef. Yeah. Okay. All right. We only have five cinnamon minutes. Beef. <laughs> cinnamon Beef. All right, Gary, we already know about Cinema Beef, thanks to X, but what other shows have you got going on right now, buddy? Well, I'm on the Cinnamon Toast Crunch podcast, and that, that, that's happening. <laughs> <laughs> where, where, where I talk about how delicious that is even without milk every episode you know that sounds brilliant you know I just eat it's a lot of crunching noises and you know mo moans of pleasure you know just, oh this is oh, good oh god only you guys could take a six minute song and make it to where it won't be enough to fill out a show <laughs> but you know the milk after this after the cinnamon toast crunch is kind of magical tasting. So, <laughs> but what podcast do you do, Terry? <laughs> oh, that's all. Besides cinnamon toast crunch podcast, uh, I, I also do two drink minimum commentaries where we, we watch movies and such and t talk through them. And we just uh, did our Swamp Thing one, which I think is gonna be a video commentary. But I'm not oh, sure wow. if it's gonna be on Legion, but it may it may be a video commentary on uh, horophilia because Jason Lloyd doesn't care if it's a video <laughs> commentary. He's, he's just that kind of guy. But um, definitely audio on uh, Legion, maybe a video, I don't know, because we got, we got the, the version with the with the boobs in it, oh. so I think that's important to, to have the video commentary with, you know, with Asian Barbeau boobs coming out of the water. Yeah, Yum. can't argue that. Yeah. Uh, Sloppy Seconds, movie sequel podcast, with a very not-fired new co-host, Tim Gross. He's, he's made this joke constantly because I haven't edited the show yet to save my life. <laughs> Like, Am I fired of the show? You can't fire me for sloppy seconds. Like, no, I didn't, Tim. Calm down. Calm down, Tim. You know, you threatened to fire Matt. You know, I, he thinks that I actually fire him, and that's, that's not the case. See? That's not something you hear in a regular conversation. Somebody can go, please don't fire me for sloppy seconds. Yes. <laughs> that's something that Matt would love to not be fired from. <laughs> I love all the projects I work on, but my new love, my, my new love of my life, my, my baby, if you will, is this Fleas and Flicks uh, charity auction, which is coming around the pike very soon the first first weekend of december december 2nd and 3rd uh if you guys don't know what this is uh court supports it for sure he, he bought tons of shit from it and <laughs> i i've sent it to him with, with, with care in bubble wrap you know, and, you know and a lot of that is adorning our studio currently yes but um it's a memorabilia auction it's a lot of autographs and toys and stuff like that for you guys to feast your eyes on and adorn your wall with like like court has and days of the dead uh chicago's coming up very very soon they're having big hellraiser reunion there andrew robinson and all all the cenobites from the first film are going to be there so that should be pretty amazing so maybe uh they'll donate something pretty dope for you guys to have hanging Ooh. on your wall got my nice interest peaked <laughs> Nice, nice group item for you guys, you know, pretty excellent. Um, who, who, who am I forgetting? Ronnie Cox is going to be there, who's never done the show. So I'm excited to rock my Ronnie Cox being there from Deliverance and Robocop and Total Recall and tons of other stuff. The car. The car. Yes, the car. Yes, he's in the car. <laughs> I forget to mention the car. I'm sorry, X. <laughs> but there's other Love great stuff in there, too. Yes. Uh, cast photo from uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4. 
with uh, everybody on there except for Joey and Kincaid because they were not at that show. So I don't have them on there, but I'm sure if I contacted Ken Stagos, he would tenderly add his John Hancock to that. I'm not in contact with Rodney Eastman, you know, but Ken's a lot more accessible than Rodney Eastman is. But um, we'll see what happens with that. And uh, coming in the mail this week. I donated to, the, to uh, the Houston Food Bank. So in turn, the lovely Jessica Harper was offering her John Hancock on things. And I said, I'll take two of those, one for myself and one for you lovely people. So I sent her two Phantom of, Phantom of the Paradise posters to sign, you know. Nice. And, and I'm hoping, and my hope is hopes, you know, that I get in contact with Mr. Paul Williams and Mr. Garrett Graham and to, to correspond with them and send those to them for them to add their names to the poster. So you may very well have in your possession a fan of the Paradise Sports was signed by Beef, Swan, and Phoenix. I might have and to th- bid on that. <laughs> th- th- that's nothing to shake a stick at, people. I'm no, sorry. not at all. That's awesome. But, uh, You're doing this yeah, on we'll a separate s- website this year, too, right? You're not- yeah, you go to you go to fleasandflicks.org. It's, uh, I'll still have a group page on, on um, you know, an event page on Facebook. But any bids you guys make, um, you have to register at fleasandflicks.org to bid on the items directly from the website when they go live. At 6 p.m. Central Time on December 2nd, going all the way through midnight uh, Central Time, December 3rd. So look for that to come up, and I'll be pushing that in the group page and everybody's group page that loves genre movies and wants to buy some shit and donate some money to the South Suburban Humane Society. Go check out fleasandflicks.org. There might be some other good stuff in there, too. I got a pen that might be happening that's Rick and Morty related, and I still got to work up with, with my buddy with that, and... We'll see if that's going to happen or not. But um, I got I got a lot of like, grease in the cogs. I hope they all churn at once and everything works out. You know? All right. Awesome. And all of your podcasts can be found at Legion Podcast, just like us. You got the fleasandflicks.org for being able to actually do the bids, but there will be event and group page stuff on Facebook that can direct you there as well. But again, fleasandflicks.org. Yes. If you are listening to us on the other feed, you can find us at legionpodcast.com forward slash cinema dash psyops. And you can also find all of our friends shows over at the cinema beef here that we just described on Legion podcast as well. You can find me on Facebook. I'm Cord psyops. You can find Matt on Facebook. He is Matt psyop. He's the plank that says brutal. You know, you got the right guy. You can reach out to us and twit a couple of tweets to a couple of twats of your pleather hip waders that cover your nipples with the straps. We would totally like to see that. I'm at court underscore psyop. Matt is at psyop Matt and is completely ignoring me because he's done with this show for the night. I am trying to <clears throat> concentrate not pissing myself. <laughs> I can totally appreciate that. We've done a marathon tonight. I'd like to thank X and Gary for joining us to do this crossover episode of Where's the Cinema Psyops Beef. I hope you guys had as much fun doing this show as we did. Yes, Jamie, we miss you when you're not here. So yeah. where you are, where you may be, we miss you when you're gone, babe. Very sad we couldn't have you with us, Jamie. Maybe next time around. We'll see. All right, We will open our hearts for you. <laughs> All right, folks, as I always like to say, thank you for downloading and listening to this episode. Kick the fuck out of this week and make it your bitch. we
it's a big old story. It's a big old production. Yeah, and there is kind of a... What the fuck's going on over there? I don't want to know. I don't either. <laughs> what, is he cutting his hair? I, I hear scissoring. <laughs> <laughs> and not in the way that I like. I know. Not it's, the it's, kind of scissoring no, I'm into. That's, that's a little more squishy. I'm sorry. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now, if the, the, when the Sorrells were singing Countdown to Love on the bus and they broke into a gangbang scene and had to be deleted scene, perhaps. That could be part of a musical. But, you know, that's that's just, you know... No, no, if they break into a gangbang, that turns into one hot porno. Oh, yeah, there you go. Countdown to Bukaki. What does that have to be a deleted scene? <laughs> Why not put that in there? Yeah. We got E.G. Daly it's and fucking art. Diane Lane. That's beautiful. That's yeah. artwork. That's art. With four different black guys. I mean, come on. <laughs> We're just peeking into my, you, my world here. Are you, are you at full and a half mast again? <laughs> <laughs> Times two. Times two. Yeah. Listen, once again, you've got to get to a doctor. And when I think about it, right? Like Rick Moranis might be there watching and jerking off, maybe. Oh my God. Well, now I'm in. Yeah, right? <laughs> now it's all yeah. over. While, while Cody well, sits in the corner and broods and just fucking pulls out a tear. You you had my interest. Now you have my attention. <laughs> well, if, if you had Quentin Tarantino and, and a butt naked Harvey Keitel, Quentin Tarantino just talking about the dick, 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 dick thing. Like he's counting the dicks. I'm in, okay? <laughs> See, this just went Honey, from... I wasted the kids. Hence, <laughs> <laughs> like a virgin. You know. I think that's what Gary says now when he finishes. Hence, <laughs> <laughs> like a virgin. <laughs> that's a whole lot of clips we have coming around here. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's a fun one. Does anyone else think... Oh, sorry, I already hit that one. Got sidetracked, so that's going to be an outtake. Three, two, one... Picture Tom Scarrett in those same weather waders teaching Lee Ving how to fly fish. <laughs> huh? Why Tom Scarrett? You ever seen a river, a river runs through it? It's a very, a very somber fishing film with him and Brad Pitt and Craig Shepard in it. Come on now. Wait, wait. You lost we, me at somber, it, and then you really lost me at fishing. Is film. this Tom Scarrett see, that's, with that's, or without that's where the I mustache? That's right. Craig fix from it. I think, I think Nightbreed is a terrible film. Well, I watch, watch, watch a river, a river runs through it. I'm, I'm good to go. See, that's an important question. Does Tom Scarrett have a mustache in this sequence? Oh, definitely. You know, it's like, it's like Tom Atkins. It's like apples and oranges. Come on now. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure Tom Scarrett was born with a mustache. Yeah, you know, I'm kind of... So, 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 somebody asked you last night, what's your quintessential um, Tom Atkins movie? I said The Fog is automatically disqualified because he has no mustache, <laughs> you know. You would you would discount the uh, ninth configuration because he has no mustache in that. Yeah, exactly. What well, does it count anyway? Because your, your answer is always Night of the Creeps. Your answer. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. But he beds down <laughs> to Jamie Lee Curtis in The Fog. My answer well, is sure always Halloween very... 3, so I don't oh, know. But he does have a mustache in that one, yeah. Yeah, I think I do prefer my Tom Atkins in Halloween 3. No, I'm sure he's a very selfish lover in the fog. I'm sure he didn't make her come. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but uh... I hate to put it this way, but anytime you're with Tom Atkins, you come. That's why he bought her drawing. Sorry that didn't work out the way we planned, but I'll take this little drawing out of your notebook. Five bucks. I'm just picturing Tom Scarrett in the fucking leather hip waders yeah. teaching leaving how to fish, and I'm kind of into it. Yeah. So thanks for that visual, Gary. I guess. Oh, that's, you're welcome. I think that's going in the spank bank, I guess. <laughs> as long as we get singing while they're fishing. Yeah, yeah, and it's going to be let's fish, have a war. More fish. How oh. many things in your spank bank is Gary directly responsible for? At least 17. <laughs> percent Wow, that's a lot. And that's from just tonight. Nice. Thank you, that's Gary. A good, that's a good ratio. <laughs> You're the kind of friend I can hang out with, man. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Unlike this Matt character over here. kind of friend you can share a bedroom and two medium-sized beds with. <laughs> Fire drill! 
<laughs> like fire trail. You know, in, yeah. in this in, in this rough economy, why not? You know, yeah. you gotta you gotta split up the bills. Feel like you could be you know Eskimo brothers with them. All right, so <laughs> moving on. Yeah, I'm just gonna ignore Matt because he's ruining all my fantasies. <laughs> ah, dream killer is what they call me. Yeah, more ways than one. Rick Moranis is a midget in a fucking cheap suit. You know, it's it's uh, good God it's so expensive. <laughs> good lord! And this, and this is local boy Rick Moranis. I'm talking. He's a local boy around here, so you know. I thought he was Canadian. No, he, he's he's from uh, um about an hour from me, actually. Oh, I didn't realize he was from Illinois. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's good for him. <laughs> I'm just more upset that you use uh, the term midget. I know, right? <laughs> he just plays damn. a Canadian on TV. You know, come on now. Does that, does that open up the floodgates? Now is everyone going to start using the word midget? I'm sorry. L- l- oh, I'm person. sorry. Sorry yeah. for any butthurt listeners out there. God Ow. damn! <laughs> Savagery at its finest. Gary has no chill when it comes oh, to PC. He's I'm just going to sta- say what he says. I'm starting to get down with Gary right now, man. This is nice. Yeah, you're still not allowed. I, I know. That's why I'm <laughs> glad he's saying it. If they didn't have little people TV TV shows on television, what would I laugh at from week to week? Wow. You know? Oh my God, Jesus Christ! <laughs> You see, I still have a few fucks to give. Gary is apparently gone. But Gary, you're like six foot fuck. I mean, Jesus Christ, you're a tall dude. Everyone's a little person to you. <laughs> nah. <laughs> I'm like barely five foot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now I'm like five and seven, maybe? I don't know. I'm shrinking the older I get. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Fucking gravity beds beat a bitch. Yeah, it's pulling all the stuff I want to stand up down. <laughs> Wow, somehow, rock. somehow that's more offensive than Gary laying I, midgets left and right. <laughs> all I'm saying is, if you turn out a little women in LA, you watch those bitches just just wait for them to start pushing each other around. I dare you not to laugh, okay? I <laughs> oh dare my you. god, are we back on this now? Yeah, I, I, yes. said, I, I mentioned it. I brought it up. Oh, it's my fault. Good god almighty. I'm just trying to justify the funniness, okay? <laughs> are, so you said hey, you bring, rather bring have us back for the Under the Rainbow episode. <laughs> are you saying. <laughs> and, 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 oh my god. <laughs> The pearl is in the river. I refer to Sonny's child over those shows as Deep Roy because, damn, that child looks like Deep Roy. Little person actor Deep Roy. (laughs) Real real quick. The pearl is in the liver. So what you're saying is you would rather let Gary talk about little people on the show that have cop rock brought up. Yes. It's that much more offensive to me. Have you seen an episode of cop rock for fuck's sake? I'm sorry. It has two things I hate, musicals and cops. Let's get back into this here. Uh, <laughs> Joe is so far oh, off the rails. Ben, you went, you went right. Uh, let's get back into it. Uh, I just have a fucking William Dafoe in over here. <laughs> You've been jammed. <laughs> Oh, now he's trying to bring it back to Spaceballs, making an excuse. Yes. <laughs> All right, we're going to cut that Strawberry, off. Strawberry, I think. I will mute your fucking mic. Lone Star. <laughs> Lone Star. That's it. Oh, come on, man. Oh, dude, come on. Okay, so. <laughs> you going to behave like a fucking big boy? I'll behave. All right. Oh, I so badly want to do another one, but I won't. I know. <laughs> you stared at me like you want to kill me. I'll fucking mute your mic and send your ass home, because we're almost done. <laughs> I know. I was going to get ready oh, to wear a Marilyn, a, a, Marilyn Monroe dress. <laughs> with a green goblin <laughs> like, mask. With a green covered in cum blood. I would submit to you that anyone who could walk around like that comfortably is more manly than Tom Cody. Probably. It's a style well, of film on, that you're Wait, not wait, wait. Just let me, let me get okay. through here. 
Uh oh, Gary's getting up to come get you. I know, right? No, I'm here. I'm good. You guys both ever come out to the beef? We'll just pick films like Terror Fervor, like stuff we made Matt watch. And then Matt talks about it, you know? Crime scene sex. I'm into that. Neo Nazis are pretty good people. Countdown to Bukaki. I volunteer for the Marilyn Monroe dress. Blood jizz. I'm not volunteering for the blood cum. Anytime you're with Tom Atkins, you come. I think that's going in the spank bank. Covered in cum blood. All right, guys, we are out.